I lay in bed and it's really cold. A warmth is moving towards me. I feel something touch me. It's Shrek. I'm so happy. Some... Previously on Yelling at the Screen. If you listen to our 2010s episode, we're basically doing the same format. The only way I can keep the movie going is I have to use one of my three saves. What is a save you say? Well, it's kind of a way to guarantee a film into the top nine. Each of us gets three saves as a way to save our favorites, to put them in a place of, hey, I love this film, I'm tired of this crap my co-hosts are giving it, I want it to move on. There's going to be some fighting, there's going to be some arguing, and you know the name of this podcast, there's gonna be some <laughs> And there's gonna be some screams. This movie very much is proto Marvel. Like it, yes. It is. Iron Man built the MCU in a cave with a box Dude. of crafts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the number one reason this film is the weakest for me. Not enough David Bowie. Caleb. He's just trolling us. He's not like to cut Wally. I've only seen it, I think, twice, and both times. Yeah, it's beautiful, but Pixar movies, like, if you're not beautiful, I kind of hold it into you. But, but I do think Zodiac not only lived up to the hype, it exceeded the hype, to the point to where I don't even know if Social Network is my favorite picture anymore. Watch two different movies, man. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because Batman Begins has 20 minutes more of David Bowie, right? That was it. That was it, yeah. Wow, I see. That's what he said. Yeah. (laughs) Those were his words. Oh, freaking, freaking Caleb. (laughs) Sorry, Caleb. Nope. Sorry, sorry, Caleb. Yeah, we tag team you and knock you the fuck out. So I'm seeing volume one, too. I have not debased myself to sit through five and a half hours of Tarantino. It's time to look at our good main man, Harry Potter. Yeah, I knew this was coming. Yeah, it is All about right. that time. Harry Potter's name. Okay. You don't have to put his name in the dirt. <laughs> he, he was like Lucy Liu's character, Oren Ishii, coming up across that table and slicing my Yakuza head off, you know? I think the reason Chamber of Secrets Sorcerer Stone is low for me is because I think that... What's the name of the director? Columbus? Chris Columbus? Yeah, Chris Columbus. Yeah. Chris Columbus, okay. He did a really good job of capturing uh, the lived-in background world. Totally see like John Woo and Sam Peckinpah and maybe even some Mario Baba. You actually went in thinking that I was going to team up with you and push this Yeah, I did. I did. I truly did. Dang. That's a pretty strong impression on me on my first watch, so much so that for a while it was like my number one movie. It make my brain hurt, owie, owie. <laughs> so it goes here. I genuinely think Prisoner of Azkaban is better than Children of Men. I actually had Trek on a list of like what I called the untouchables <laughs> for y'all. Because like I don't want to touch these too soon, because if I do, that could go south. <laughs> And I wanted to make sure to not touch Shrek until we got... Because that was probably going to be coming up for me in my next couple of picks. Uh, The memes, dude. So many memes. So many.
a lot of people's sexual preferences have been set by this movie. <laughs> you know? Hell yeah. You see what you see what I'm saying here? I think we I'm, I'm it. You see you see what I'm saying? Shrek for life. Yeah. Because the popularity of Shrek and the 3D animation and the whole oh we need to get cool celebrity voices for all the characters. It's impossible to not note that impact Shrek has had on the real world Absolutely. And if you hate minions, if you hate a lot of the 3D animated movies that have been coming out and dominating the children's movie market, a lot of it stems from Shrek. Mm-hmm. But that being said, there's something kind of amazing from a historical preference about this film being the film that basically killed the Disney Renaissance. What were raggy? You did this, Caleb. You did. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I, I'm with Con. I think Monsters Inc. Like, like, here's a crazy scenario for you. Okay. If you two were to suddenly be like, Jack, Caleb and I have talked about it. Dark Knight, not as good as Pixar. I'd be shocked. I'd be surprised. But if that's what you guys wanted, I would support that. Yeah, I don't think that's what we want. <laughs> I don't think that's what we want either. Be, be forced at gunpoint to the dark side. <laughs> well, he might use a save. Hold on. Don't oh, yeah. do it. Dude, it's not worth a save, man. I'm telling you. I get why Anne's Labyrinth is often considered Del Toro's best film, but there's one thing you gotta remember with working with Jack. I'm a Hellboy 2 type of guy. <laughs> oh, my. I do kind of love the idea that you two are all like, man, Jack really thinks Zodiac's better than all these <laughs> We'll get to it, I promise. And that the prestige is worse than all these. That's even more absurd to me than the Zodiac take. Hey, I mean, you guys haven't cut prestige yet, so I, I gotta admit, I'm impressed. Like, yeah. <laughs> maybe there's something I'm missing here. Like, I, I'm genuinely impressed. <laughs> yeah, the sounds and the music were very purposeful and complemented the story in a, like you said, a very cynical way, but it was really delightful to watch <laughs> because of that. Like, it was definitely not pleasant, but it was a viewing experience that leaves an impression. Colin, is American Psycho talking? Yep. Because I say no. Yep. Yeah, I also say no. Bummer. And I think bad. you need to use a save. I'm saving it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Colin has used his first save. Nice. 2,000 films. Two saves have now been used. Yeah. Tough. Then, it's kind of the perfect amongst the perception of it. I really love Spirit Away a lot, and I think the fact that I don't even consider it top five Hayao Miyazaki films is kind of proof that Miyazaki is the king, he's the man. Pseudo-intellectual, woe is me. (laughs) Yeah, woe is me, I can't believe that I'm trapped in this situation with literally no way out. Yeah, bullshit. Sorry, I'm calling you out on it. ScarJo, this is the kind of shit you discuss before you get fucking married. I'm not pooping on this movie. I'm pooping on the characters. And I'm definitely not pooping on the writing. I think this is an important story that needs to be told. But me, personally, I cannot reconcile her behavior and her thoughts into a positive experience. A positive movie-watching experience. Mic drop. The things that I like about Lost in Translation are similar to my experience watching Synecdoche, New York, in the sense that they presented a meditative space for me to consider myself and the world in a different light. 
I won't eulogize this movie. I, I've said my spiel. You already have. What do you mean? <laughs> Colin, you've spun so <laughs> Remember when Colin eulogized for Parasite by complaining about internet people? <laughs> in terms of follow-up films, I think Lost in Translation remains one of her top ones for sure. I love Lost in Translation. I think it holds a special place in this time period. Shrek waves through my window. Shrek is love. Shrek is life. I'm above average. (laughs) All right, so real quick, we're going to recap the 20 movies we have left for this list. I'll go ahead and get us started. We have American Psycho, Catch Me If You Can, Children of Men, The Dark Knight, the Departed, Donnie Darko, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Axkaban, <laughs> The Incredibles, Inglorious Bastards, Little Miss Sunshine, <laughs> Lord of the Rings, The Trilogy, Monsters Inc. Incorporated, Mew Holland Derive, No Country for Old Mien, The Prestige, Fuck You Jack, Star Wars <laughs> Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, There Will Be Blood, and Zodiac. And for the record, Zodiac and American Psycho have both been used for saves, so those two will make it into the top nine. All right, gentlemen, I am up at number 20. Number 20. What you got for us, Jack? I'm going to throw out a film we haven't talked about yet, not because we have to cut it. In fact, if you guys don't want to cut it, I'm okay with that. I just want to gauge the waters. Okay. How do the three of us feel about Inglorious Bastards? I'm okay with cutting it at number 20. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Wow, an easy pick. After the last couple, <laughs> I didn't know what yeah. we would do. <laughs> it was like three in a row where it was just, sorry, Caleb, take that. Ha! And then again, ha! <laughs> poor, poor Caleb. <laughs> poor, poor Caleb. <laughs> well, I'll go ahead and open us up for eulogies then to start us off. Tarantino is a filmmaker who... I always enjoyed how he does, like, the chapter book segmentation of his films. You see this very much with Pulp Fiction and Kill Bill, how how he'll have the chapter titles. And it's almost like he'll have many sequences that divide up his movie. And what I love about Inglorious Bastards is I'm pretty sure there were tons of audiences who went in not realizing that they would have to go through a 45-minute chunk of this movie that wasn't in English. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) That whole sequence where Michael Fassbender is in the little basement restaurant. I'm so glad you mentioned this, dude. And they're just doing this whole espionage thing. It's it's probably the only time Tarantino's ever really done a spy movie thriller moment. And it is just so, so good. There's a lot of high points in Inglorious Bastards. You know, you got the David Bowie song while they're prepping for the Nazis coming to the theater. You got Eli Roth bashing the general with the bat while this epic Ennio Morricone score is playing. I believe it's Morricone. It could be another Italian composer. 
there's a lot of highlights in this film. But for me, Fassbender's performance during that whole undercover meeting sequence in the bar is just so edge of your seat, so intense, and so well written. I see a lot of people argue this is Tarantino's best film, and even though it's not my personal favorite, I think this one definitely has the balls to back up that claim. Sure. I, I couldn't, I'm so glad. So, truth be told, I wanted to cut this in the 30s, but I was afraid to do so <laughs> because I thought you guys would love it a whole lot. Here's the deal with, with this movie Jack hit it on the head. That scene in the underground bar, man, when he asks for what it, whatever it is, Trance beers or whatever, and he holds up three fingers like, oh, Trance beers or whatever, mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. the tone, like, good for that german actor instantly the tone shifts like you just see it on the guy's face like this guy's full of shit and you don't know what he did to give it away and then of course it all erupts everyone dies and then someone is like what fuck just happened (laughs) and uh the the german lady is like you ordered it's like you ordered three beers and we order three beers <laughs> all it was was a finger change like the british use pinky ring and middle whereas germans use middle finger thumb to represent three that's what gave him away wow something so minutely simple what, what does brad pitt say never meet in a basement that's just yeah, my it's like, he, he's like you never meet in a basement man that's just my philosophy <laughs> so good oh gosh they're then trying to play Italians. That was hilarious. He's like, Arvidarchi. Arvidarchi. And you are Italian, sir? I-, I remember when that film came out, it was kind of advertised like Brad Pitt is the main character. And then when you watch it, you realize, no, he's definitely not. It was no. a fun twist. <laughs> yeah, he's only in the movie for what? Not even half of Not even thing. half. Yeah. 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 Like, Maybe 30 or 40% max. So what I want to say as kind of my thoughts on Inglorious Bastards, maybe even my eulogy, shout out to my one of my ethics professors at Texas A&M because almost every class he would reference that opening scene with him knocking on the door and asking if they're hiding this uh, Jewish couple. Yeah, hiding family. Jews, yeah. Yeah. He would always go, that was his go-to reference for like presenting a ethical dilemma and like trying to get us to think about something differently. So shout out to him for that. Always had the good references. (laughs) Hell yeah, man. Well, Caleb, you are up next for number 19. We just did number 20 in Glorious Bastards. Caleb, take us away. Yeah, so I also want to bring up a movie we haven't talked about yet. All right. I don't think you've seen it, Colin. I'm curious to hear how Jack's rewatch was of The Departed. Ooh. If it made him want to fight for it to go further than maybe 19. his first viewing. I think it's better than 19, 18, 17. I don't know if it's better than 15, 16, if you catch my drift. Okay. <clears throat> it will be very easy for me to cut The Departed soon, but there's just... A few other films I want to go first, if that's fair. Okay. Compromises will be made to push The Departed farther, but it's definitely not a top ten movie. That being said, my rewatch of The Departed, way, way, way better than I remember it being. 
I dig that. And I feel like that's going to be my impression when I watch it again, whenever that is, is all like, oh, yeah, I love this way more than my first viewing because it's like that kind of movie. Here's the thing. If you want to come back at your next pick and bring it up again, I probably will let you cut it. And the only reason you don't want to cut it now is because you think there are some movies that could be better than it. I'll say this. Or worse, I mean. There, there are two or three films we haven't really talked about much yet, one of which you and I actually watched together for the first time. Yeah, yeah. That I want to talk about first, if that makes sense. Okay. So I'm um, saying The Departed's coming soon. <laughs> so. Coming soon to a theater near you, The Departed. All right, so <laughs> catch me if you can. Is this kind of where you're going, Jack? You want it to I'm, be left here? I'm tough. That's tough, I mean. It is very tough. And to be honest, Catch Me If You Can is one of those movies that it is hard. I was going to bring that up for my next one just as a purely peace treaty. Like, you know, guys, I don't want to pick on your movies all the time. Here's a movie I love that I want to cut at number 17. But Caleb already brought it up, and I'm honestly okay with Wait, what? (laughs) Are you, like, instigated me bringing it up? (laughs) I did, but I also was going to let you know, like... For me, it was, if you guys didn't let me cut Inglorious Bastards, I was going to bring up Catch Me If You Can. Okay. Catch Me If You Can was going to be, if not my next one, my the one after. So. Which I think is a sign that we need to cut it here at 19. I agree. So here, here's where I'm at, Jack, is I think that Catch Me If You Can is superior to The Departed. Interesting. I, I, I like where you're going at this. Okay. I disagree, but I like where you're going at this. This is the Leo face-off, the Leonardo DiCaprio face Yeah, I say that, you know, I've been trying to get it. I've watched a lot more Scorsese since we recorded. I even rewatched some Scorsese, like like The Wolf of Wall Street, which led me to say, hey, I would have argued for Wolf of Wall Street to go further. The Departed is just, like, not on that level as The Wolf of Wall Street is. I I kind of agree with you. I kind of like Wolf of Wall Street better than Departed. Yeah, and so Catch Me If You Can (laughs) is, like, that might even be, like, my favorite spielberg of what i've seen of spielberg like it's mm, catch me mm. if you can is that good i think there's a strong argument to be made that catch me if you can is the better film but the one i'd rather rewatch is departed so i think mm. we should ask colin his thoughts on this because i think we're gonna cut one of these two films me personally i am leaning towards cutting catch me if you can pushing departed one more round that's where i'm at too yeah, that's where I'm at. Caleb. But okay. Caleb, if you I'm don't so, want to so cut, sorry. catch me if you can right now. We can wait till Colin's turn and boost it to 18. That's going to be my next suggestion. Look, dude, so catch, catch me, me if you can. can is getting cut here or at 18. I think okay. is kind of what. So, do you want it to go one more round and cut Departed, or do you not care enough and we're going to probably end up putting these two films back to back? Yeah, I yeah, I don't want to spend more time on it than we need to. So yeah. we can just. <laughs> But for the record, <laughs> I think Catch Me If You Can is the better movie. All right. Well, then, Jack, how about this? I will commit my next pick to Catch Me If You Can if you pick The Departed this time. I'm the one picking. Oh. Caleb, I will give my next pick <laughs> to Catch Me If You Can if you pick The Departed to go this time. I don't think that's what Jack wants. Caleb, right, it's your Jack, Jack wants to go further call. than your next pick. Jack, I, I will pick... The part, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so here, here's where I'm at. Here's where I'm at, gentlemen. There's a part of me that wants to save The Departed, but I don't think I'm going to. You think it's top 10 worthy? 
No, I think it's 11 or 12. It's my own personal top 10, but I think for this list, A- I don't On the see average, it. it'll be, yeah, outside top 10. I see what you're I would rather you cut, cut Catch Me If You Can, because at the end of the day, if you don't cut it now, Colin's going to cut it next round, next pick. Okay. But, Caleb, if you really want The Departed to go, I'm willing to concede to that, because you conceded Requiem for a Dreamer. Yeah, I mean, I'll... It's not that big of a deal. We can cut Catch Me If You Can here. Yay. We agree. We're friends. We agree. We're friends. Departed's time is coming. Don't worry. All right. So that's number 19, Catch Me If You Can. Who wants to start on eulogies? I'll go for it. So I've seen this movie a couple times now. Every time I watch it, you know, you laugh a little harder. A new part stands out to you. There's a new acting chop that you notice. My big thing about it, though, is what I wrote in my notes was I'm not sure from, like, a technical filmmaking standpoint if this film is top-notch. But I think characters and acting-wise, amazing. Like, obviously, Leo's an amazing actor. Obviously, Tom Mm -hmm. Hanks is an amazing actor. And they're delivering grade-A performances— Mm-hmm. in in this movie you got the like, king of new york himself freaking christopher walken in this bad boy yeah dude True. you know he's so like, good coaching it's a, it's young a great <laughs> it's a great movie coaching young i just Leo. i think that there i i just think that we're at a point now where we have to be kind of cutthroat about what movies mm-hmm. go where mm-hmm. so and, and I actually kind of disagree with Colin. I think the direction and filmmaking is very, very strong in Catch Me If You Can. I just think Spielberg is such a master of the form that it's a lot more subtle than, say, something like Alfonso Cuaron is doing in Children of Men. Right, right. The first time Tom Hanks's FBI, CIA agent, whatever he is, meets up with Leonardo DiCaprio's main character, and Leonardo DiCaprio kind of swindles him, pulls the whole con man trick on him, the way they frame that scene and cut around the room and go around the hotel room is so well done from a shot perspective, from an editing perspective. The acting's obviously phenomenal. It was an incredible scene. Maybe not my favorite scene in the movie, but I think my second favorite scene. So I kind of disagree with Colin, but I get where he's coming from because I think Spielberg is just so on top of the game here that there's a lot of subtle, strong filmmaking. And I'm... I'm trying to think about how to phrase this because Tom Hanks is on this, like it's not a MacGuffin chase, but like Leonardo, but it's more about Leonardo DiCaprio, like leaving trails and Mm -hmm. Tom Hanks following that. So it kind of has that same experience of, Oh, like we're on this chase together, going to following this trail, man, like by the end, I honestly, I didn't know anything about the real story of, this guy I forget, I forget his name but to to learn about how he ends up working with them to capture people that are committing like check frauds and creating better systems for making it harder to commit to check steal fraud. to yeah. like to commit check fraud is genius like the, just that presentation of it is so well executed and like the tension that he must have felt going between those two worlds of, okay, now I have to work for them, but I really don't, there's this thing within me that doesn't want to, and I feel like they really captured that on the screen. Yeah, I'll kind of conclude with this. Part of the reason I was ready to catch... (laughs) 
<laughs> slip of the tongue. Part of the reason I was ready to cut, not catch, cut. Part of the reason I was ready to cut this film was because, as far as the source material goes, this film kind of cheats. This is one of those stories that is just really interesting and fascinating. It was always kind of going to be an awesome movie, because there's very little that actually changed from the source material, if you look into the background behind the movie. It's mostly just has to do with Christopher Walken's character and the relationship between father and son. But for the most part, this is very true to the source material in a way that there's a lot about it I love and respect. But in a lot of ways, this was always kind of going to be a fun picture, a fun story to get involved and invested in. And so that like makes you want to cut it sooner because of that? Is that what you said? That's what keeps it from hitting the highs that I think like something like The Departed has. You feel like it's too bound no no not that it's too bound that just that the source material is always gonna it's kind of like our new zealand joke about how oh new zealand is always gonna look pretty so any film shot there is like cheating i don't know i feel like there's there's source material where people can really mess up agreed and not work out for them what, it, what even was though that the dragon? source material is great <laughs> A- aragon what was was that the name of that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I think I get the sentiment you're going for, but we're comparing a true real-life scenario to a fiction novel. My, my point is... And I is even mean I'm that, happy. too. Like, a real-life scenario could be a really compelling, but then they could poorly adapt it. And I'm more making an argument for, I am really happy this film is in the top 20, but I definitely didn't see it going to top 15. Okay. That's kind of where I'm at. I was never going to save Catch Me If You Can, but man, yeah, it is in my either. top 10 personal films from this list, easily. Yeah. Big time. And with that, we are moving on to number 18. Colin, it is your turn. All right, dummies. Here we go. Getting rid of... Britta. Catch me. Getting Brit rid of the, the bee. She's a no good bee. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, exactly. She is a no good bee. How dare she's she? She's the worst. She is the worst. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but in all seriousness, let's talk titties here. <laughs> oh, hell yeah, let's go. I am going to recommend that we cut Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. I say no. How much further do y'all really see this movie going? Like, be very honest with yourselves, please. I don't... This is this is where, like, I get into my ranking system and how, like... I kind of did it conceptually, Colin, like you, where you kind of have these tiers in your mind. Right. This would be early <laughs> for that tier for me. Oof. Bummer. <laughs> this is my number one choice. This is the lowest rated film... That's left on my list. Here's where I'm at. You know, we're talking about Alfonso Cron, and we also have Children of Men on this list. I think that Askman and Children of Men are the two best Alfonso Cron films. Now, I haven't seen E2 Mama Tambien, so I can't really put my two cents there, and a lot of people say that's his quote-unquote best film. But here's the thing. I like Children of Men. I think it's a great movie, but I do not like it as much as Askman. And here's the deal, Colin. The easiest way for me to say, let's cut Azkaban, is if you tell me when we're cutting Children of Men. After Azkaban. <laughs> for sure. So, like, 
I'm going next. So if I cut Askman now, you'll let me cut Children of Men is what you're saying. Uh, I'm willing to make that compromise with you, even though I don't think Caleb would be crazy. <laughs> Dang, that's tough. A little back to back Alfonso Corona action. The Alfonso what number? Hold on. Oh lordy, what numbers are these? Uh, this is number eighteen. Number eighteen. Seventeen. Actually, I'm okay with that. If you're okay with it, I'm okay with it. Fuck you, Caleb. <laughs> Caleb, do you agree that Askabin's better than Children of Men, though? I just gotta know. I do not think yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> no way. Then let's do this. Let's cut Askabin at 18, and then next round at 17, we'll cut Children of Men. Let's so here, here's my question, Jack. On if your, your personal list, how far does Children of Men go? Children of Men is not as good as Inglorious Bastards or Catch Me If You Can. Interesting. Colin, I would have cut Children of Men a while back, but I know you liked it. Like how far back? Like 23 or 24. Wow. Okay. That's, it's better yeah, than Requiem, for sure. I agree with I that, I don't too. know if it's better than Lost in Translation. I think it's better than Lost in Translation. I like how we're kind of retroactively looking at the yeah. past, too. Yeah. So let's do that. Let's cut Azkaban now. You know, I get it. Two against one. You guys prefer Children of Men. And honestly, for a lot of the Alfonso Cuaron fans out there, that's just kind of how it is. So I'll concede. I'm happy Azkaban made top 20. That's where I wanted it to be. Definitely not top 10 movie, but I wanted it to make it this far. And then, Colin, after you cut Azkaban here, I'll cut Children of Men at 17. All right. So who wants to start? We're cutting Azkaban at 18. Let's start our eulogies. Oh, here's my eulogy for Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, it is not, despite what my two co-hosts say, it is not the best, by any, by any stretch, do I think it is is it the best Harry Potter movie. That's got to be <laughs> False, false. <laughs> sorry, <I'm so> sorry. <laughs> Gentlemen, I drink a bunch of water. My polyjuice <laughs> potion did not go down correctly. I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's what I think of you. Anyway, um, no, dude, I, I definitely think that... Uh, Prisoner, no, it's not by a lot. Now, remember now, Caleb, I said I, I feel like this movie starts a downhill uh, spiral starting after Goblet of Fire, and I definitely, definitely mean that for sure. I do think that it's got not nearly as good a stuff after Goblet of Fire. Sure. I can get on board with that. All that said, I do think that it's still really good. Like definitely high quality, high tier stuff. Like I, I like it. Uh, I love the way it's darker. It's more aesthetic. It's more stylized. The one big criticism I have of it is a Harry Potter criticism, not a filmmaking criticism. Like one of the things I found charming about Sorcerer's Stone Chamber of Secrets was that it was more about, the school aspect of it you saw them in their robes more sure people were dressed a little bit more stylized for the wizarding world whereas in prisoner of azkaban they went a direction that i didn't 100 percent appreciate which was oh let's make this more like what teens would kind of dress up ex- then. Yeah. exactly like let's put which is interesting because i think a lot of people argue that 
that's what they like about Azkaban, that kind of more realistic, oh, like, these aren't just kids in a fantasy novel. Yeah, they're, they're not they're always going to be wearing the robes. Because <laughs> that's, that's kind of how I feel about it, too. Yeah. Fair enough. Like, but I think I, you, you know, still do see them wear robes, though. It's yeah, just less do. frequently. Like, in class, they wear yeah. them. Yeah. But you don't have as many of the class-heavy scenes as you do in Chamber of Secrets, Sorcerer's Stone. And I don't know, that's me being picky. Like I said, it's not a strike against the movie. It's more me, like, they downplayed the Wizarding World aspect for a yeah. more uh, normal, a more casual, teen-friendly. Oh, oh Lord. A more uh, <laughs> teen-friendly viewpoint here, which I didn't appreciate quite as much. But, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> it's interesting that you say teen-friendly for, like, it has a tone that it's it's a it's a tonal shift from Chamber of Secrets, and then it really goes dark with Goblet of Fire. So it's like this transitionary experience between those those two tones. It leans on the darker side, but I don't know that it's quite all the way there though. And I think they, that his ability to capture that before you get introduced to the dark lord returning that's like a really important piece that i i found so compelling like he was able to capture something that is needed going from the columbus style to where they ended up going with the tone of goblet of fire i agree it's like a a transition piece is a good way to put it I mean, like, Columbus's style is very much a, okay, we got a bunch of money, let's all play dress-up, get in Hogwarts, and adapt these books. Let's go for it. I wouldn't call it exactly straightforward, but it doesn't quite have the same nuance and complexity that I think Quran and his team are going for. I think what has made this film age really well is in the post-MCU world, we kind of live in this era where a lot of franchise haters feel like the producers and the corporations are in charge of all the new Star Wars films and all the new right. big films. And with the exception of Zack Snyder, no one really gets to be like an auteur anymore to throw yeah. their vision on a big Who knows? blockbuster Chloe Zhao could, sh- could surprise us. <laughs> That's true. Caleb's room for Chloe. Let's put that on the record. We got season two coming up. Get excited. <laughs> yeah. I say all that because in retrospective, it makes what Quran does with Preserve Azkaban all the more special. I think why this is not only my favorite Harry Potter movie, but quite possibly just my favorite piece of Harry Potter media in general, is I absolutely adore how this film evokes this kind of sense of autumn. And it Mm. has this tonal control that very much gives me creepy, spooky Halloween vibes. Yeah. The shrunken heads or the singing choir when they go into the Great Hall and the toads. There are so many details that evoke the horror halloween elements of the witchcraft wizarding world and you know some of it doesn't work some of it's a little bit too obvious like harry is of course talking to mr weasley about the seriousness of serious black escaping and you have that picture of serious black in between them as they're talking Quran's framing is really strong but some of it is a little obvious granted sure i think our uh oh my gosh why am i forgetting his name Oh, he just won the Oscar. I'm probably going to cut this out because I'm embarrassed. 
Who plays Sirius Black again? What is his name? Gary Oldman, bro. That's it. Yeah, Gary Oldman. I, I think Gary Make Oldman himself. definitely <laughs> captures that really creepy, dreadful shift that this movie's taking and does it really well. And and speaking of dreadful, this movie's got the Dementors. They were horrifying. They really yes, were. Yeah. Ring Wraith level of horrifying. <laughs> yeah. It's good stuff. Harry out there playing Quidditch and they come at him. Oh, it's oh, good. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. There's just so many little elements. Like even the fact that Buckbeak is called the condemned as they get ready to like execute him. It, it's even the executioner was dreadful. McNair. Yeah, it, <laughs> this is a strong piece of fiction and I think Quran as a filmmaker really creates some amazing visuals and images to yeah. complement it as a film adaption. Part of me thinks we're putting this too low, but man, this is a great film. And, and whatever your state, your art, whatever your thoughts are on the current state of children's entertainment, I really hope every generation can get a film this scary aimed for kids like Prisoner of Azkaban. So Amen. I like that. I'm a fan. I think this film is way better than a lot of other films that we not just talked about today, but on this podcast as a whole. Nice. I love the way you put it. You did it, said it so well. And you know what, guys? You know, I, I've just been, we've been waiting for this list, you know, a long, a long time. We've been looking forward to it. We've been excited about it. But, you know, how, guys, man, how long do you think we've been waiting to do this list? I think it's like 12 years of it. And, and where did we do our waiting? Could it possibly have been Azkaban? Oh, <laughs> Colin. Well, speaking of horrid prisons that are just completely terrifying, I think it's time we move on to my pick where I cut Children of Men at bummer. number 17. <laughs> it is a bummer. I get why people like Children of Men. but I, I hate that for deal. us. <laughs> I mean, there's other movies you might be able to convince me to cut first. Yeah. <laughs> maybe hey hey the two of you your loyalty to the prestige high respect like I, <laughs> I did not expect it to go this far i'm very impressed um yeah i mean the only other things on my list the departed i'd be okay with fantastic fox i'd be okay with honestly what are we what what where are we at now? 18, 17. Uh, I'd be okay with Little Miss Sunshine here as well. Totally up to you, Jack. I don't want to... Well, let's ask Caleb. What do you think, Caleb? Is Children of Men going here, or do we need to re- revisit spot 17? Personally, I think we could revisit spot 17. I did, like cards on the table, intend on throwing a save at Children of Men since it sounded like you already made up your mind before you presented a conversation about potentially other movies. Well, if that's the case, do you want to save Children of Men and then we put Little Miss Sunshine here at 17? I do not want to do that. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So you want Children of Men at 17 is what you're saying? Nope. (laughs) He wants it higher. He wants it at like 11 or 12, I bet. What are you giving me to work with here, Caleb? So Colin brought up Fantastic Mr. Fox. That would be great. The Departed we've talked about. I know this is it's nearing your choice. It's nearing your your aim for it. I think the only issue is I, I mean I can't 
save two movies in a row. That's not a thing, right? Yeah, you can. <laughs> you can save it. You can use all three of your saves in one round if Colin and I really wanted to push you. Yeah. I, I, mean, I think for me, it's like, if you really want children and men to go to 11 or 12, I respect that, but if you want in that top 10, I'm going to make you burn a save, boy. <laughs> well, yeah, that's why you burn a save. So what do we think? On the record, Colin, are we making him burn it? Uh, I guess so. At this point, yeah. yeah. Let's do it. So it gets saved from number 17 onto the top nine, children and men. Man, we are really saving our saves. Yeah, we all have two left now. Now, Caleb, I respect that you don't want me to put Little Miss Sunshine at 17. That's not an issue. That's fine. I like Little Miss Sunshine. That's okay. I do think, Caleb, that sometimes we must cast aside our differences and make an alliance. Caleb, I'm ready to talk Pixar with you. Okay. Same. We're willing to make compromises. All right, let's do it. We need to either cut Monsters, Inc. or Incredibles. Nope. Not here. <laughs> I thought you meant. I thought you meant next, like next round. Wait, no, like I'm at seventeen. Another I'm round. It's time just to... go to sixteen and cut a Pixar movie. Okay, we're just gonna skip seventeen <laughs> and see if the audience notices. <laughs> yeah, this is tricky. This is tricky. So Colin doesn't want a Pixar film at seventeen. Caleb doesn't want Little Miss Sunshine. I mean, there's still several movies to pick from. Yeah, Jack. dude. There's Fantastic Fox. There's <sighs> The just, Departed. I, okay, I, I gotta be honest, with you guys. I think Fox is better than the Pixar films. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. I okay, dis- good. I Caleb, disagree good. big time. Caleb, we got an alliance going. Let's go. <laughs> I disagree big. time. I mean, we could put No Country here. We could put. There's so many options. So yeah, many. dude. <laughs> you really, Jack? Expand your thinking. Just, yeah. just, just a scooch. Just, a, just a scooch. That's all we want. All right, there will be blood at seventeen. No, unacceptable. <laughs> I don't know about you, Caleb, but that's not. I'm happening. fine with it. I'm fine with it here. Absolutely not. Do we make Colin Byrne a save? Absolutely <laughs> not. No, no, no. Here's what I'm gonna do, guys. Which one's better, Fantastic Mr. Fox or The Departed? Fantastic Mr. Fantastic Fox. Mr. Fox, yeah. All right, I hate doing this, but let's cut The Departed. All right, now I can get on board with that. Caleb? Okay, perfect. I am very much on board with that. I think personally, both The Departed and Fox are top 10 material for me, but sadly, I don't think that's the case, and that's just how it is sometimes. <laughs> Man that's a bummer <laughs> the departed is a really freaking good movie but oh uh, 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 you've yo. seen the departed colin yeah dude okay I've seen the departed granted it was a long time ago i saw oh, okay. it when okay, i was okay. like a freshman in college and i was a dumb idiot but you know that's just the way the way it goes i guess I mean, I'll say this. I'm happy Departed beat Catch Me If You Can and Azkaban, because even though all three of these movies are films I really love, I do think of those three, Departed is the best. The Departed is, I mean, for me, it's not my, of what I've seen of Scorsese, it's not like a highly ranked Scorsese movie. That is kind of the common criticism that I think people throw around at this film. But on this rewatch, I definitely think that if this is a lower-tier Scorsese film, Scorsese might as well just be the best director with it. (laughs) 
Yeah. Like, I genuinely believe. I mean, you're not wrong. He, yeah, that's the thing is, I could go rewatch it and have a and come say, oh, man, this should go higher. But right now, like, I... Yeah, I'm, that's kind of where really I'm at. I don't care to fight for The Departed much. I There are a lot of great things about it. A lot of great acting choices. The story, I think, if we ever do the 90s, like, Goodfellas is... That's an amazing, like, gangster story. Uh, that, that's trust right. me. Goodfellas <laughs> the is definitely does not Let's hold a candle her. to it. So, I think it holds. A ca- I, I think saying something like doesn't hold your candle to it is a little strong. But I think the gap is not as vast as you're uh, making it sound. Maybe, maybe. But but I also think the fact that Departed for a lot of people is both. Oh, this is the movie that they just picked as best picture. So we can make the Scorsese fans happy. But it's also the film where I have generally met people who consider Departed one of the best, like, top five material. I knew a guy in college who was all like, I love Departed, it's my favorite movie. And we'd be like, oh, well, why is it your favorite movie? And he goes, a lot of tasteful F-bombs. It's one of the best (laughs) answers ever. I mean, I think think about the ending of The Departed, and, I mean, all I wrote on Letterboxd when I watched it was uh, the the bit from from snl <laughs> that mm, what you say oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what i thought about throughout the whole ending not that that left a sour taste in my mouth for it but like it was kind of funny and i knew it it wasn't supposed to be <laughs> wow so the departed gets put here because of a meme Bummer. <laughs> well, Bummer. I'll say this about its placement. Because, yes, I'm with Colin. I want this to go higher. 17. I, I wish it would go higher. Here's the thing about Departed. Departed is based off the 2002 Hong Kong film Infernal Affairs. I've met three people back in college who've watched Infernal Affairs. And they all like The Departed, but they're all very adamant that, hey, Infernal Affairs is the better movie. And I haven't seen Infernal Affairs, so I can't comment on that, but... Because of that, I bet a watch of the original source material would almost potentially either boost up my thoughts on Departed or make it go down. So that's where I'm, I'm content with its spot at 17. That's fair. So first thing I want to say is there's that bit where Leonardo DiCaprio's character and uh, I always butcher her last name, Vera Firminga, the Conjuring Woman? She's in Up in the Air? I think it's Firminga. Anyways, where they first like hook up and he goes over to her place before she moves out and they like hook up and they're playing a live version of Roger Waters performing comfortably numb and a lot of filmmakers would just go with the OG version that came off of Pink Floyd's The Wall but no Scorsese he knows to get the deep cuts he knows how to handle the needle drops you got to get the live version in there great great decision on a more serious note diving into the meat of this film and why I think it was such a profound kind of rewatch i recently had there are just so many strong elements to this film on an acting level on a filmmaking level on a structure of its script level like just think about it you have jack nicholson one of the all-time great 60s 70s actors one of the all-time great performers and there he is working with young leonardo dicaprio it's almost like catch me if you can where leonardo dicaprio's character his performance almost reflects what's going on in the movie trying to be undercover, trying to be a mole to report back to Wahlberg and Sheen on what Jack Nicholson's character and his mob are up to. And there's just this great chemistry between two all-time awesome actors. 
I think it's it's up there for me on one of the all-time great kind of two strong actors performing with one another. It's just really, really awesome. It highlights both actors' strengths. Now, the other thing about this movie that I think really makes it hold up so strongly in the Scorsese canon is the editing. Because this is one of those films where Leonardo DiCaprio's character goes to meet with Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson leaves to go take a phone call where he's talking to his mole in the Boston Police Department, Matt Damon. I've never seen a film quite do this with editing. It's brilliant how subtle it is and how strong a filmmaking it is. Because Jack Nicholson is on the phone with Matt Damon and he gives him a tip to help Matt Damon's character kind of rise up in the Boston Police Force. So we cut to Matt Damon and his team busting the guys that Jack Nicholson told him about on the phone. And it's clearly a time skip. Like, they've clearly leapt ahead in time. And then we kind of do some more cuts as Matt Damon's character solves this crime, gets the bad guy, and uses Jack Nicholson's tip to fix up the situation, to kind of clean it up and make himself look good. And after all this cutting back and forth on Matt Damon's little mini-operation, we then cut back in time to Jack Nicholson to go back to talk to Leonardo DiCaprio. And you don't even notice it. That's how strong Scorsese and uh, Schoonmaker are as editors. They just effortlessly put in these cuts and these transitions that makes the story feel so large and so well put. It's incredible from a filmmaking perspective. And I think people who have dismissed Departed as, oh, it's just the one he got the Oscar for. It's lower tier Scorsese. You guys are missing out. You need to double check The Departed. You're probably right. Yeah. You know what, Jack? We might end up in the same scenario like The Wolf of Wall Street, except for the 11 to 19 range instead of the 1 to 9 range, like on the 2010s list. I am content with where we're putting it. Part of it is that this is a very bleak movie. There's that bit over halfway through the film where Leonardo DiCaprio, he's yelling at Martin Sheen's character, and he's like, you know, I want out, I'm done, I'm ready. What can we do? And Martin Sheen's like, you know, we don't know. We think Jack Nicholson is actually working with the FBI. And just kind of comes to that moment where you realize, for all the double-crossing, for all the moles, all the hiding in the shadows and the performances, at the end of the day, the big baddie everybody was looking at is probably already reporting to the higher figures in the government. It's that idea of, like, you know, at the end of the day, all these mob guys, over half of them are already, like, stabbing each other in the back and reporting it to the FBI. It's bleak. It's intense stuff. It's a it's a great film, but I can see why it doesn't always make the impact that That's other true. Scorsese film. If anything, I think it's just such a strong piece of filmmaking and editing. It's just so, so good. This might be the best edited film on our list, if I'm being honest. Huh. Well, granted, we'll get to Revenge of the Sith, but the point is, is the editing <laughs> wow. of Departed is a plus. Spoiler alert, Jack. <laughs> I've said my piece. Thank you guys for letting me rant about The Departed. <laughs> you are good, friend. You are good. That was number 17. It is time for Caleb's pick at number 16. Yep. I'm trying to think about... Whew. I really... I really want to cut um, No Country for Old Men. I don't think it goes much further. Jack, what do you say? <laughs> I don't know. Part of me doesn't want Colin to use his second save, but I don't know. I, I definitely think it needs to go further. How much further? Like top 10? 
What do you think, Colin? Help me out here. I'm, not, I'm not top ten. Not top ten. Let me do this way. You cut it here. I'm not saving it. That's where I'm at. I'm okay with it here. Then I guess I'm saving it. There oh dang, go. Jack! You want it top All ten? Right. Hey, no. I honestly rewatched the ending scene where Tommy Lee Jones is talking about his dream the other night. And yeah, like a single tear definitely came from my. I was like, "This is such a good." No, I. It's not my favorite Conan Brothers film, but it's definitely top three. Dang, I don't even know if it's in my top three. I don't. I mean, that just shows how strong the Conan Brothers are as filmmakers. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna do it. My second save, I'm using on No Country for Old Men. Wow. All right. Um, I don't think that's the wisest. Well, well, it is your pick, you know. It's funny that both Zodiac and No Country came out in 2007, and I'm not for sure which film I think is the better film. Okay. Just to give you guys a little tease as we get closer to the yeah. ten. Yeah. Well, if it's not No Country, Caleb, I just want you to know I do not agree with Jack here. <laughs> I, I I hear you. So, I hear you. But like, Jack saved I, it. He wants it in the he top did. ten. That he did. Nine. Hey, you know what? Jack saved it. That's can't what he wants. Argue with we gotta that. give we uh, Yeah, can't argue with it. There we go. So, Colin, how are you feeling about Incredibles and Monsters Inc.? Yeah, I want to talk about that more too. I really, really do not want to cut either of those just yet. But Ever? what are we on? <laughs> I keep asking that. I know. I'm sorry. It's because I'm going back and forth. We're on 16, right? Yep. If I if I gun to my head, I have to pick one to go. I would pick Monsters Inc. Here. Now, Colin, you're also of the mindset that Fox isn't as good as these two films, correct? I am Fantastic also Mr. of that mind. Yes. But Caleb, you like Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah. Wait a minute. Ratatouille is still on here. Ratatouille. No, we cut that. No, we cut at, Ratatouille. Uh, oh, we did. Okay. Good. Yeah. That's what this I happened thought. last time. So, we got right I know, to sorry, 17, I, Oh, jeez, my bad. Shit, dude. I'm, I missed a movie along the way. I'm allowed to make one mistake per year. No, that's fair, Colin. I was, that was uncaught. Colin, I'm just bitter that Ask a Man didn't beat Children of Men. That's all it is. So, but then again, yeah, Caleb saved Children so of Men. Colin, so, Colin, Jack, here, here's my compromise for these three. This is turning into The Departed, where all the twists and turns, yeah. we have who's <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Here, here's, <laughs> that's a good reference. <laughs> Here's my compromise for these three animated movies, okay? What if we put Fantastic Mr. Fox somewhere in the middle of these two? Honestly, that's what I was going to suggest. I'm you. I'm down with that. I like don't know Pixar how Fox get sandwich, there, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> I'm uh I'm I'm good with this. I vote we so Colin, I think you have a stronger opinion about these two Pixar films cuz I honestly could go either way. I think Incredibles yeah. is better, but I think Monsters Inc of all the Pixar films is the one that's gone up in my list. I used to view it as a mid Pixar film, but over time it made it into my top 5 and now it's kind of at like my number 2 and 3 spot for Pixar films. Like right. I might like Monsters Inc more than Toy Story 2 if I'm being honest. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, this is S-tier quality for me. But that being said, Incredibles is my favorite Pixar film. Yeah, I agree with you. Incredibles is also my favorite. So, Monsters, Inc., are we leaving it here? Yeah, I'm okay with that. Okay, well, let's do it then. 
Kayla, do you want to go first? Yeah. Man, I was thinking about the last time I watched it, and I was like, okay, I don't want to think about that anymore because I was watching it with an ex. Um, and so, <laughs> um, <laughs> and before that... Oh, I, the truth comes out. Yeah. <laughs> when Cecilia was all like, googly bear, Caleb's like, no, no, the non <laughs> And so before that, I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. I think I, I will like I haven't seen Monsters University either. So I just have the Monsters Inc. and the short that they did. What was the, the short car. called? Yeah, the, the one with Mike's car, car. Yeah, Mike, yeah. Mike's new car or whatever. That like it is it's good world building. Like I loved what they did there with with the with the story. And like talking about going back to Jack's point about Azkaban. And, like, making a movie for kids but, like, is addressing, like, some more horrifying elements. It's not, like, strictly horror, but it addresses, like, oh, like, kids are afraid of things in the in the closet, under the bed. It handles that at, like, the very, that, like, those at the youngest of age of comprehension could latch onto, <laughs> which is really cool. So I think there's something special there about that. It's still not one of my favorite Pixar movies, but I enjoy watching it every time I do watch it. I think, for me, this film is definitely one of those films that the older I get, the better it gets. Mm-hmm. Like a wine. I, I think this film, exactly, it's aged really well. Mm. This is still that early period of Pixar films. I think it's the fourth Pixar film, right after Toy Story 2, before Finding Nemo. I think so. I, yeah, I think that's correct. I could be wrong, though. But there's just so much that works about it. Steve Buscemi, obviously not your traditional villain character, but he mm. kills it here as Randall. He's so, He's so good. I think Pete Docter really kills it here with this film, and it makes sense that he would work again on Up and Inside Out and Soul. And the final thing I'll say about Monsters, Inc., because the more I think about Monsters, Inc., the more I want to talk about it, except I don't really feel like I have my thoughts in a coherent nature, so I'll just start rumbling. But I just want to take a second to say that the whole theme of taking this energy source, oh, we need to get children scares, their screams to power our lives, and turning that into, well, let's get laughter. There is a very nice subtext to that message that I really think will inspire kids to think about Green New Deal policies and think about, you know, maybe not voting for Republicans when green, it comes to the world we live in. Green New Deal policies. Lordy. What? Like, maybe I'm being too political here, but when you look at films like Wally, which are very much like, the world is dying, we need to save it. But Monsters Inc., I don't know, it just it has those subtle themes that I really, yeah. really dig and love. All right, fair enough. Jack's liberal ideology and communist principles have won out the day yet again <laughs> i'm hiding my aoc shirt that they can see on the skype call <laughs> no but i love monsters inc like i would have been very okay if monsters inc made it in the top 10 honestly i would have been okay if you guys said this was number one <laughs> and that just shows how cool it's so good so freaking good great movie my little eulogy it's got lovable characters it's so colorful lots of nice monster designs it's a clean, clean plot. There's no out-of-place characters, no out-of-place scenes. Y'all, sometimes it's that simple. It's a, a really simple movie done well, and I I appreciate that about Monsters, Inc. You gotta do the basics right, and darn it, they did them right. Truly one of the all-time classic pictures, a 
about blue collar workers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Colin, you are up at number 15, my friend. I am up at number 15. Well, 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 well. Too many wells. Okay, so I know that I have said that I uh, will not have an opinion on these, but we're, I am now out of films that I'm allowed to have an opinion on. So, Uh-oh. Uh, how do we feel, gentlemen, about Eternal Sunshine uh, or, fuck, the other one, Little Miss Sunshine? All the shine <laughs> by all Childish Gambino. Yeah. By Childish Gambino. All the, all the, all Can the you sunshines. See the sun shining on me. Yeah. Trust me, Colin, I've been ready to cut Eternal. Or not Eternal. I've been. God dang, I'm getting. I have been ready to cut Little Miss Sunshine. You don't even have to ask me. Okay. I've been ready. For then, it. then very unfortunately, I think we're going to have to cut it here, Caleb, unless you're going to save it. He does have Dang. two saves left. He does. We all have two. No, no, I have one save left. This is number 16? Yeah. No, this is number 15. 15? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, he's like, he's like, that's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. What's wrong with you two? Man. Uh, it's tough. That is very it's tough, tough. Dude. And remember, this is Colin's decision, Caleb. So you have to. <laughs> yeah, you you can persuade me, but like, so here, here's the thing, Colin. The movies that are left, like, uh huh. All of these, you're convinced, are better than. No. Little Miss I disagree. Sunshine. I I I do not. Oh, what are the ones that? The, well, I the guess ones that have, besides anything the that's ones been that saved, saved. <laughs> <laughs> anything yeah, that's been saved. saved. So like yeah. Zodiac is way worse than Little Miss oh, Sunshine. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. garbage tier compared to Miss Little Miss Sunshine. Lies, lies, lies. My goodness. All right. Yeah. You know what, Caleb? We fought a good fight. Also, and you know what else I would be willing to do here? I would be willing at number fifteen to cut The Prestige. Is the other film that I would be willing to cut here. I think I, I think fifteen's a good a good settling point for the prestige. I feel like it's gone okay. on long enough. Okay. That Okay. I don't think I mean maybe you think it's top ten. I don't know. Do you? No. Okay. Then I, I yeah, like I don't Honestly think I feel I feel like we've waited a little too long on the prestige. You guys should have let Monsters Inc. beat the prestige. All I'm gonna say. I'm just yes. gonna say it. You should have I'm I'm regretting letting it get up this high. I, I kinda wish we'd have done it sooner. Uh, you guys just wanted to get back at me because you're still mad about arrival. That's all this <laughs> is. I mean Yeah, you got me. <laughs> You definitely got me there. I uh, I was holding a little a little weenie grudge, but I think like I I'm content with procedure c- coming here. I could move it further, but I don't think it has to. Like it wouldn't be much further if that if that helps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's kind of where I'm at. I do think it's better than Monsters Inc. Though. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a win for me. <laughs> If it makes you guys feel any better, I think Prestige is better than at least a third of the films on the last list. 
<laughs> a third of the films on the 2010s list oh on the 2010s list okay all right i guess that makes sense who wants to start eulogies for christopher nolan's 2006 film the prestige i think i will um the prestige is oh golly you know what i just realized can i take everything i just said back okay um and do what you might have to cut this out jack uh i'm checking okay we already cut memento sick all right (laughs) (laughs) the cycle repeats i know edit here in three two one all right okay this movie prestige by rights i think is as confusing as memento easily handily would y'all agree with that general statement that I it would is not I, agree. I disagree but also like i don't think okay. you're wrong like i i don't i don't think you're i don't think that's a bad take okay well okay i'll take that and again the last time i saw the prestige granted it was a few years ago uh i've seen it i think three or four times in my life at this point and as a teenager i you know was in love with it i i i loved it it was like one of my all-time top tier favorite films ever and I think that is not necessarily the best take for this movie. I think it's good, but I don't think it's so good that it's creeping into the top, tippy, tippy top of my Nolan list. I will openly admit that it got this far <laughs> strictly because um, I was trying to, you know, get a little bit of revenge at Jack. <laughs> So. You kind of succeeded. It beat Monsters Inc., my friend. Yeah, I mean, so there we go. I'm a uh, Caleb wins. <laughs> Caleb wins. Yeah, the prestige goes here. No, Solid like I'll. Movie. Can I go next, Jack, or do you want to say something about the prestige? Yeah, no, go for it, man. Like, there's, um, there's, I even though I don't like this film, there's a lot that is really good. In sure. It. I mean, it's Hugh Jackman. Yeah. He's killing it. Like he's a great actor. The twist with Christian Bale at the end. Yeah, no, I got I mad at myself. Yeah, like, I got mad at myself for not real because it was like yeah. Michael Caine was right. He was right all along throughout the whole movie, yeah. and you Usually just go, is. "Oh, that's such an obvious but cool." Oh, it's just it's a good twist. Like it yeah. makes me mad how like simple of a twist it is. That twist, it's cr- like it's wild and it's crazy, but it ha- it leads to such a harsh ending, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But that paired with the overall like narrative and how like I've heard it described as like like with like like competition and like keeping up with the Joneses mentality like mm-hmm. like and how that like how far are you willing to go to like be recognized and like the things that you want to do the most how far does your does your pride take you and like how do you let it get the best of you. So that paired with the ending and how harsh it is, is like genius because pride comes before the fall, right? Like that's the, you know, the great quote from scripture. Like that's the, like this movie does it so, so well. It's written so well. And even, yeah, Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale, like them paired together was fascinating to watch. I know in the past I've, my, my like Nolan takes of like, I feel like, evolved over the past few months and i will i will add like colin did this was slightly revenge but i also have 
a former roommate, a new roommate that I super love the prestige that I've had a lot of good conversations about recent about them with recently. I was like, you know what? Like maybe I need to think about the prestige a little differently than I did before. And so I've been spending a little bit more time considering different angles that I didn't previously consider. All right. I'll conclude our, I don't have a lot to say. I just wanted to finalize and say, even if I'm not in love with the prestige, in fact, I kind of don't like it at all. <laughs> I am happy to beat Batman Begins. Yeah. I, I like yes. Batman Begins more than the prestige, but I think it's very admirable of Christopher Nolan to make this big, large, super expensive, big budget Batman movie and then go and make something like this, a little magician's film. A little magician's film. <laughs> For me, I, I admire that about Nolan as kind of an artist. Now, all that being said, it's time for everyone to hear the harsh truth. Oh, fuck. Here we go. <laughs> Tenet is the better movie. <laughs> Disagree. Just That's just wrong. Disagree. You are incorrect. <laughs> I'm That's... rubbing my... I'm, I'm waving at my Robert Pattinson poster. You we know can what? Move on I now. take all this back. <laughs> Prestige goes further. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, edit. <laughs> edit. So, edit the last edit, eight minutes Take out. two. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was number 15, The Prestige, and I'm up next at number 14. So here's what I'm about to do, gentlemen. The two films I'm about to give you guys, I have no intention on cutting at number 14. In <laughs> okay. fact, there's a world where one of these two films gets number one, and I'm okay with that. But they are two films that we have not talked about at all that I know for a fact you two like a lot more than I like. Okay. Okay. I'm looking at 2001 and 2008. It's Donnie Darko and the Dark Knight time. Dark Knight is moving on past Donnie Darko. Sorry, buddy. What number is this? This is 14. I'm not cutting. I'm not cutting either of them. I'm not cutting either of them. I just wanted to gauge So we haven't talked about these films at all. I agree with Colin. The Dark Knight advances. <laughs> it is but, the darker of the two yeah. darko dark films. That's fair. That's fair. The we two got two. Films. We got two shines and two dark films. <laughs> I didn't even realize that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! No, we, 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 we're still yet to decide which are the two brighter of the shine movies. So. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> but we have decided the darkest dark. <laughs> oh my gosh! It seems like you two are in agreement that if. Donnie Darko and Dark Knight went up against each other. Dark Knight wins. Yes. Big time. Hands down. Easy. It's not even it's not yeah. even a question. And here's the nice thing. Our goth fans at home, they love Jake Gyllenhaal and the Donnie Darko, but they also love Heath Ledger Joker, so either way they win. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, but I was serious. I don't plan on cutting either of those two films because I know you both really love them, and I'm very much okay if they make it into the top ten purely because they're your favorites, and I respect that. Okay, appreciate it. Now, Caleb, we got we got to get down to the bottom of something real quick, though. Okay. Because Colin just brought up Little Miss Sunshine. Okay. And I want you to defend it, because I'm ready to cut it at 14, but you might be able to push it a little bit farther. You know, Jack, I'm surprised that you need, or maybe you're not needed, but like you are seeking reasons to let it go further because like this is the kind of script that i was like man jack would like this is the kind of thing that he would like very like deadpan like presenting something very heavy very depressing cut to something hilarious that style happens frequently throughout the story it's such a such a great tone for what they're doing in this movie 
I think the thing, though, Caleb, is it's not that I dislike this film. In fact, I like it. I think it's yeah. a great film, and I'm I'm okay with it being as far as it is. Heck, if you told me, Caleb, this is our number one film, and Colin were to say, I agree with Caleb, let's put it, I would not be upset. I just cannot justify putting it above films like The Incredibles or Fantastic Mr. Fox or Donnie Darko, and I just want to figure out why we haven't dropped it yet. Like, So for me... Another reason besides what I just shared with the script and the tone and the writing, the ensemble of this cast and how, like, the strength of them together, like, it, I mean, like, even, um, what's his real name? Is it, he's in There Will Be Blood, right? Paul Dono? Is Paul that, Dono, yeah, yeah, he's the teenager. He barely says anything, it. and it's, like, such a good performance by the end. Like, it's, oh, you just fall in love with it all. Oh man, I I will say this much. When I rewatched it, and I've watched a lot of these movies on this list in the past year, when I rewatched this one a couple weeks ago, that's like some of the most I've laughed in in a while watching something. Like, and I watched the new Rick and Morty season. Like, I did not laugh near as much in Rick and Morty as I laughed in this movie. It is hilarious, but it's also very like serious too at times. And it does, and it pairs those two so well, and I just can't get past that. Here's where we're at, Caleb. On one hand, you are winning me over. I went from, oh my gosh, why have we not cut this yet? We need to get Loomis to, you know what? I'm happy that it's making it this far. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with your answer, Caleb. You put up a good defense. But here's the issue. This is not just you and me. I think Colin and I both are more ready to cut Little Miss Sunshine than we are for it to get in the top ten. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Okay. I I agree. Because if I don't cut it here at 14, Colin's going to cut it in a few picks. True. And I I don't think I can stop him. I don't think I want to stop him unless you use a save, you know? Let me me put it to you this way. Caleb, gun to your head, you have to say right now, I'm going to force you to say, where does Little Miss Sunshine land on your personal list? I mean, we are we are almost to the top ten, so I think that's fair. I don't know that I have to say a specific answer to that. I feel like that. Gives I mean, away, you don't. Like, Is it top five? For for my personal list, yes. It, oh shit! Jesus Christ! Okay. I'm not going to yeah, tell I you just, where you, in that five. You might have to there. make a compromise, buddy boy. Because <laughs> here's the deal, Caleb. I'm okay with Little Miss Sunshine beating Children of Men. I'm okay, okay with that. I, I am also okay, okay with that. We're just at a point to where, like... And I saved Children of Men, right? I know, so I'm just... I'm assuming you're going to save... Here's where we're at. I'm probably going to cut Fantastic Mr. Fox here at 14. I'm down. Do it. Get it out of here. I just... Caleb, I think you need to realize that Colin's next cut, we're ready for it. Well, no, I'm at the point where I've accepted that I need to save it. So, I feel like... That's you want to save consensus it? Have been, has been. Oh, yeah, I'm saving Little Miss Sunshine. Easy. Okay. All right, Caleb's okay. using a second save on Little yeah. Miss Sunshine. Well, wait, 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 wait. Don't, don't use it yet, Caleb. We because... don't, I mean, we have... Uh, I mean, if you don't want me to burn a save, like I won't burn a save. Like, because we'll, we'll Jack's not cutting this. it here. Jack's not cutting it here. He's cutting right. Fantastic Fox here. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, uh, so we'll wait. wait. We're, we're, trust me... A lot can happen in four picks, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. This is true. This is true. I would wait. You remember that time when I was like, no, absolutely not. I'm saving it. And you were like, whoa, 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 Colin. Let's wait. Okay. 
Okay. I'm do I'm doing that to you right All now. All right. Well, thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. <laughs> I will not be upset with Little Miss Sunshine in our top ten. I just I don't think Colin and I want it there like you do. Okay. Fantastic, Mr. Fox. Then. With a heavy heart, I'm cutting Fantastic Mr. Fox at number 14. This is like my third favorite Wes Anderson film, and it is not an easy cut, but I kind of agree with Colin. I'm okay with Incredibles beating Fantastic Mr. Fox. Even if I like Fox more than Incredibles, I'm fine with us putting Fox here at 14. Same. I'm fine with Fox. Who wants to start us off? I will. Um... Fantastic Mr. Fox is a good <laughs> film. I'm doing a funny voice so I can scroll up to my notes. Okay. Um, definitely top three Wes Anderson films for me. Characters are simple, they're straightforward, and boy howdy are they all likable, relatable, and funny. The dialogue is Wes Anderson dialogue. It's, you know, Wes Anderson 101, this is how to make Colin laugh type of stuff. Um, man. This is this is just a good movie. Um and again, it's one of those things I feel like the the if we were to revisit this list next week, it would be vastly different than it is now. Like right now I'm thinking, man, I'm I'm afraid Fantastic Fox made it a little bit too far, honestly. I mean, I'm honestly surprised it didn't go farther. I really thought we were for sure going to put this in top 10. But I fully acknowledge that I love this movie and I think I just, you know, I think we all have a soft spot for it, which is why it's here. That's a testament to how good it is, or at least how good we think it is. On this list, it is a high-ranking movie for me. It's not it doesn't go into my personal top 10, but it's pretty darn close to that. I love the voice acting here. I think it's some pretty solid work. The and the claymation, that's like gr- good claymation. Like I don't watch, I don't make it go out of my way to watch cl- claymation. So when it's like a main, it becomes a mainstream success. That's really impressive, regardless of if you you know care about the story <laughs> or what's happening on screen. Like that's pretty cool to watch a claymation movie have that kind of a budget and do so well. No, I definitely think from like a stop motion perspective, I think this is arguably a contender for best animated film of the 21st century. Definitely up there with Spirited Away. I think it it lives up to its reputation easily. Yeah, and and you know, I've talked about how much I love Wes Anderson's second film Rushmore a lot on this podcast. And I think like with Rushmore, both those films or both Fantastic Mr. Fox and Rushmore are kind of about their main characters having to humble themselves and be less of a dickhead. Like with Max Fisher, there's very much this mindset of learning the joys and appreciation of collaboration and working with others. And with Fantastic Mr. Fox, we need Mr. Fox. He has to almost kind of accept his domestic responsibilities to his family and to his community. And it does that in a way that still has a very thrilling adventure and it does that in a way where so many different technical aspects of the mise-en-scene really work together. I mean, there's bits where the characters are moving, and it kind of almost lines up like a music video with the songs that are playing. It's just really well done. I mean, lots of good voice acting. You got both Michael Gambon and William Dafoe as villains in this bad boy. Oh, it's just... It's phenomenal. It's also really cussing funny. Like, it's just a funny movie. <laughs> nice, good reference. It's gonna bring a big smile on your face. Yeah. It's... Yeah, I, I, 
this is a hard one not to put in top 10 for me like this one's it's close it's to this day I regret not memorizing the the what is it the wacket wacket ball? Oh yeah, Owen Wilson's part where he explains yeah. the rules. <laughs> oh, that part's so good. It's so 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 cussing oh, good, you know. <laughs> so that was number fourteen, fantastic, Mister Fox. Caleb, you are up again for number thirteen. For number thirteen, how do we feel about leaving the Incredibles here? Is this one of those? That's no, like, it's not. Gotta, it's not. Gotta go further. It's, it's not. Yeah, what's your next one, Caleb? Because I'm I'm content with Incredibles being here, but I'm also like same. There are movies I would rather put here. Okay. A couple of them I am not allowed to have opinions on. What about? <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> of the list that's remaining, that. You know, obviously hasn't been saved. One that I would I would want to talk about here, because I honestly I think it should have been cut earlier, is <laughs> Colin's giving me this look. That's like you better not say the one <laughs> I think you're gonna say. <laughs> is there will be blood? No, dude, I saved it. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, then Colin has. Oh, he then saved both. Have I didn't realize save he saved left. it. Didn't I? Did I not save it? We just saved American Psycho, right? I saved American Psycho. All right, Colin saved There Will Be Blood, so we all have one save left. (laughs) Yeah, I had to save, because y'all were going to cut it like fucking 20-something. So Colin saved it. Absolutely (laughs) not. Caleb, I would have cut this a long time ago if Colin hadn't saved it, I promise. Yeah. Get over yourself. Okay, Okay, so I'm still content with The Incredibles. If y'all really want another one, I'll throw out. I'm just curious what your what your other one you're throwing out is. Yeah, let's talk about Donnie Darko. I'm okay. I, I'd be fine. I like Incredibles more than Donnie Darko. So if Colin's I, okay, I that, also, let's do Donnie Darko. I, I also prefer Donnie Darko to the Incredibles. Okay, let's do it. All, All right. right, at number 13, who wants to get us started on our eulogies for Donnie Darko? I mean, we had a whole episode on this one. So oh, yeah, like, go reference Go that. and listen go to our check episode. Out yeah, defer 18. to what we said there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do have a question, though. My original list for this was 20s, maybe teens. And now here we are at, you know, whatever, 13, and, and here it is. Do we think we did a good job? Is this the right spot for it? I'll say this about Donnie Darko. When we did our big ratings at the end of that episode, I only gave it four stars, and you both gave it five stars. Yeah. So I think the fact that we're at the point to where you guys are giving films five stars speaks volume about what we're working with. Yeah. I am very okay with Donnie Darko being here, even if I might not love it as much as, like, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Fair enough. But, no, I I definitely knew Donnie Darko would make top 20 easily, and I'm surprised you guys didn't push it to go farther. Yeah, I mean, the movies that I want to go into the top nine or the top my or the ones i've saved right so far i I think are better than donnie darko yeah the two i've saved i think are vastly superior to donnie darko and i'll say this donnie darko is one of those movies that was talked up a lot in high school and undergrad and i just watched it for the first time probably about a year ago really and i'm really impressed with how much it holds up just the kind of dark melancholy gothic vibe it goes for and the way it like 
plays around with the 80s setting without really glorifying 80s traditions. It's just... It's a film that's aged really well, and I know I've said that about like three or four other films on here, but no, I love Donnie Darko, and I'm I'm very happy I made it this far. It's a great film. Sweet, yeah. No, it's I mean for for a eulogy, I don't really have a whole lot to say. I do. I will add this. I feel like this is now important to to clarify. I believe Jake Gyllenhaal's performance in Dar- Donnie Darko is stronger here than in zodiac however i'll also add that i think when we get to zodiac we'll talk about this more jake gyllenhaal is what i like the most about zodiac (laughs) yeah i think that's fair gyllenhaal (laughs) yeah no and the two films we have on this list that represent gyllenhaal's acting range which it's a fun to see him go from 2001 to 2007 gyllenhaal is awesome he is a strong strong actor excuse me but i have to clarify this did you just suggest that he is better in zodiac than he is in donnie darko i would say that you are dead yeah you are that is heresy dead, jack dead dead wrong look, zach, look, look. i mean jack zodiac, <laughs> zodiac is i am prepared to say that zodiac is not a good movie straight up and the fact that you saved it baffles me I'm realizing that you're not mad at me for wanting to cut prestige. You're mad at me because I saved Sony. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Honestly, Straight man. up. Straight up. And it's funny because I remember looking at my list and thinking, I bet I'll have to save Zodiac. <laughs> yeah. I just, I had a six sense moment. Well, if we're through with our eulogies for Johnny Darko, Colin, yeah. you, you can get on to that anger train and think about what you're cutting for number 12. Yeah, go and listen to the podcast episode on Donnie I Darko. I want to say it's episode 18, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Defer to that episode. I have to ask. Um, I know I'm not allowed to uh, express opinions, but where are we at with Eternal Sunshine and where are we at with Mulholland Drive? Well, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. I was about to ask Caleb on my turn about Eternal Sunshine. So Okay, perfect. Yeah. Um, Those are my next that, two. Yeah, Eternal Sunshine and Mulholland Drive both go further than this. For sure, top ten. For like, sure. like I think Christ. Caleb will probably save Eternal Sunshine, and then I'll save Mulholland Drive. Yeah. That's a bunch of bullshit. Okay. Um, <laughs> you should have watched the movies, Colin. <laughs> yeah, you should have watched the movies, Colin. God, I fucking hate you both. Okay. <laughs> Shit, dude. Um, all right. If you're going to hold me to the screws here, I am going to force. Ah! I am going. To... Oh, I hate this. I hate it. I'm going to. Okay. In that case, since y'all are going to be douchebags, Children of Men or The Incredibles has to go. It's got to be The Incredibles because I saved Children of Men. Oh, you actually saved Children of Men? Yep. Oh, well then, yeah, it's The Incredibles. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. I I knew it was coming, Colin. I know it's tough because I like Incredibles a lot. So unfortunate, man. That's so tough. Okay. Yikes. All right. That's tough. Yep. That's real tough. Okay, yeah, Incredibles goes here. That's an owie. That's a real that's a real owie. Man, God, this sucks. This fucking sucks. I mean, I've been oh. trying to push for these Pixar ones to get knocked off sooner. 
of the ones that made it, I wish Wally got further, but I'm glad The Incredibles got this far. I think it is a very fun Pixar movie in terms of examining the superhero tropes from like a really unique perspective. And something that I think maybe Jack mentioned at one point talking about The Incredibles, you don't actually know like what time period they're in. Or, you know, you can make guesses. You don't mm-hmm. actually re- – there's nothing that gives you clues to that specifically. Like, you can't say it's this year, you know, this era. It's an amalgam of time periods. And I really like that. It allows them to grab a lot of different pieces from different eras and put them together in a colorful way. <laughs> and so that's specifically what I wanted to share about The Incredibles. There's more, but I feel like I could do a whole episode on The Incredibles. Colin, you want to go next or you want me to go next? I'll go next. Uh, I hate you both <laughs> for making me for making me do this. Bro, this wasn't an easy decision for me. You could have cut their movie blonde. Yeah. <laughs> Why the fuck would I do that, Jack? I saved Incredibles it. Incredibles is better. No. No, 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 no. Look, man, Incredibles is good. <laughs> Brad Bird strikes again, obviously bombastic is a word that comes to mind when i uh, describe this movie it there's no this this movie is very lean there's no extra stuff in this movie i feel like every scene is necessary the powers they come up with are creative it's a s- simple story told simply done well back to basics with brad bird alliteration alliteration goodbye I think part of what makes Incredibles such a strong superhero film is that for its reference points, it often feels more inspired by Indiana Jones and James Bond than, say, something like Batman or the Fantastic Four. The whole island theme of being on Syndrome's Island and fighting the robot is very Dr. No, very 1962. There's just such a thrilling sense of adventure to this film that's super exciting and amazing. And I think my letterbox review of this film that I kind of just posted as like a clickbaity like gotcha was a joke that dashes chase through the jungle was way more exciting than any action scene from the mcu and yeah i was kind of trying to do that to raise hairs but there are so many strong fight scenes and set pieces in this film and honestly i think this might be my second favorite superhero of all time oh What's nice. your first Gotta go back to Defoe, baby. Spider-Man, I'm coming for you. Build <laughs> <laughs> me again, Spider-Man. <laughs> I'll put on the record that if we were talking about Sam Raimi's Spider-Man today, I would fight for that movie to be number one. Oh, yeah. Wow. I don't know about that. I think it was in the top 60 on Letterboxd. I don't know about top 50, but definitely not top. Anyways, we're talking about Incredibles. This is probably the best action film to come out of american animation i love incredibles this was hard but honestly goes back to the theme of this list we got a lot of stinking good movies and honestly colin i was giving you crap about there will be blood you fighting for there will be blood over incredibles makes me like there will be blood more i respect that all right here we are that was number 12 the 2004 film the incredibles i am up next at Number 11. We're here at Leon the Screen are all big fans of the artist known as Kendrick Lamar. True. 
And in that one Kendrick Lamar song, he talks about how he is a sinner and he's probably going to sin again. (laughs) After thinking about this list and thinking about the films we're saving, I'm going to commit the biggest sin I've ever committed as a cinephile. This is the point where they will shame me and talk about how all children and fans of this podcast lost faith in me. Guys, (laughs) where in the world are we putting the Lord of the Rings trilogy? Oh, Lord... Lord of the okay. Rings, yeah. That, that's what we're talking about. Because <laughs> we have not uh, talked about these three movies at once. And it's one entry, by the way. Nobody wants to say anything. <laughs> here's the deal. Like, here's my genuine how I feel. Fellowship of the Ring might be the best movie of all time. It's pretty good. It's, it's Two it's Towers, pretty... brilliant film, beautiful phenomenal sequence editing i love how they frame the scope of middle earth battle of helms deep wonderful andy circus kills it as Gollum. phenomenal film not as good as fellowship of the ring i i can get on board with that R- return of the king i love return king is a great film sam fine shelob is so badass and cool you got the elephants you got the ghost you got Minas Tirith, and pippin sings the song but it's just such a long fucking movie <laughs> yeah it's so long It's so, so long. What I'm trying to say about Lord of the Rings as a trilogy is I think Fellowship of the Ring is arguably the best film on this list. I don't think this series as a trilogy needs to be in our top five. But if you two are opposed to that, if you two are that opposed to that argument, I am okay with Lord of the Rings being in our top five. Jack, that's so scuffed, dude. This is the greatest sin I will ever commit as a movie fan. Man, that's so scuffed. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Caleb, what do you think, man? So we've all used two saves, right? I'm not going to save this, but I'm just wanting to clarify something. We've all used two saves, correct? We have. Correct, yep. So that puts six. It's guaranteed six spots, right? The top six. So we all have one save left. And if we... Well, oh, I see where you're going. No, I yeah. like where you're going with this. This is a good is, strat. We're kind of so. There's ten, eleven. What's what spot is this one? This is eleven. Oh, this is eleven. So there's two opportunities for saves. <laughs> that means that they. How many movies are left that haven't been saved? We have Lord of the Rings, Star Wars Episode Three, Revenge yeah, of the Sith, Episode Three. A movie we have not addressed once on this list so far. Which yep. I was just like my strategy for that movie was just don't say anything about it, see how far it goes. Honestly, that's uh, that was my strategy too. And I think <laughs> all three of us did that, and now we're at a position to where it's like number eleven, and we're like, "Fuck, Revenge of the Sith made it this far." <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think that Lord of the Rings should be cut here. I think it needs to be. I, I don't, don't either. I, I like where you're going with that thought jack is like we don't have mm-hmm, to just mm-hmm. succumb and okay yeah it's number one out of, like yeah like like pray like you know satisfy the you know all the cinephiles out there i think the cinephiles will be happy with it being in 11 or 10 top they'll be happy with it being in the top 10 wait pause 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 what 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 movie are we ta- i got a little lost what movie are we talking about again we're talking about lord of the rings jack the one that you said <laughs> well then we were talking about revenge of the sith and i got confused yeah. i'm sorry i'm sorry all right you made your one mistake this year it's okay 
So wait, uh, are we saying we want to put the Lord of the Rings trilogy at 11? No. Okay, just checking. We want to put it at 10 or 9, I think is what we're saying. Yeah, like, I'm fine with putting it. It has to, I mean, if we're, no one's going to save it, it's going to be between 7 and 11. True. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's where we're at right now. Yeah, and, and, like, honestly, a lot of these films I like. In fact, all of these films I like. But when I look at Dark Knight, Eternal Sunshine, There Will Be Blood, I'm not picky about where they go. I'm really not. I'm pretty picky. I'm <laughs> pretty... These last few, you guys have really avoided upsetting me. And I, fe- I think all of the upsetness it's is going to happen. It's all about to come crashing. <laughs> yeah, in, in the next 30 minutes or so. Yeah, well, I think we're at the point where... My next pick, I'm probably going to have to cut one of the movies I saved. Oh. So, right now I'm at 11, and my next pick is number 8. And I think Zodiac might be going at number 8. Or No Country. But it doesn't have to. I vote you cut Zodiac here and put No Country (laughs) at 8. But don't let my input influence you by any please let me think for a second he's a thinking ladies and gentlemen we got little miss sunshine left we got eternal sunshine left we got dark knight left lord of the rings we got there will be blood left there will be blood i gotta get rid of my caleb which one is better I'm, i'm bringing this down to you my friend which movie do you like better Spotless Mine or Little Miss Sunshine? Well, here's the deal. If you pick Eternal Sunshine here, I'm going to use my last save on it. So his answer is he likes Eternal Sunshine better than Little Miss Sunshine. Now, Caleb, because I'm doing this, you have my full support when it comes time to cut There Will Be Blood. Dude, fuck off. This is what I was... uh, This is... Ooh... (laughs) All right. Here now, we come go. on. I'm Card- not saying there will be blood. No, shush, 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 shush. Cards on the table, gentlemen. I want there will be blood. It is my number one pick. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry, dude. <laughs> Dark Knight number two. Like, but Dark. I'm sure Dark Knight was high for everybody. That's what's why. I, I can like, cut I Dark Knight right here. I, I could genuinely cut Dark Knight at number 11. <laughs> you you do it, I'm saving it. <laughs> so. Well, then I'm cutting Little Miss Sunshine. I already there saved it, though. Okay, so I'm cutting Eternal Sunshine. <laughs> I'm going to save <laughs> I told you, I already How many saved saves do you have left, my friend? I have one. He's got... And I want to. You're not, he, you're not he... picking Eternal Sunshine. That's I'm saving it. And I've already used my other save on Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah, and then use your third save on Children of Men. Yeah, so I've used my three. I'm gonna stick to it. All right, there fighting you go. for mine. Man, we Jack, are fighting for this top ten. Jack, spot. full disclosure: I, if you pick Dark Knight, I'm saving it. So, all right, let's do that. Colin's gonna save Dark Knight. Wow. Caleb has saved Children of Men, Eternal Sunshine, and Little Miss Sunshine. And I've saved American Psycho. There will be blood, Dark Knight. I can't believe I burned a save on that. So that leaves... It has to be in the top ten. And I have saves Zodiac and... Bullshit. Horrible Children of Men. So that leaves... Or No Country for Men. Lord of the Rings, 
Episode 3, Mulholland Drive, that haven't been saved. That can be selected at 10 and 11. So the films that have not been saved are Lord of the Rings trilogy, Mulholland Drive. Then I think it's time to cut Lord of the Rings. Ouch. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, Lord of the Rings at number 11. Guys... The first are you, podcast. Are, we sh- are, to are, ever are you do it. sure? <laughs> I don't like this. I am uncomfortable with this. But here's the deal: Lord of the Rings won all the Oscars. It made all the money. <laughs> Everyone in that movie will have a career. It's for the rest currently of making the like the most expensive TV show. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. Fine, you're right. God, this feels dirty, but okay. Lord of the Rings does not need our defense. (laughs) Right. That's true. Okay. When you put it like that, I will accept it. Here's the deal. Lord of the Rings is above the three of us. It is above this podcast. (laughs) It's above every film podcast. Peter Jackson can make ten films that are the most garbage film of all time. He can spend the rest of his career making awful movies, and people will still love him for the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah, true. Here's my eulogy. I can say the name, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, directed by Peter Jackson, and everyone in the room goes, those films rock. Yeah. That's my eulogy. My my eulogy was, was going to be like, oh, you don't need to save this because of its prestige. LOL, LOL, LOL. Because of its... Uh, <laughs> that was a good sound bite. Because of its prestige, because of its, you know, name recognition, like... You don't have to, like, I kind of wrote that in my notes. I'm like, you don't have to defend this these films. People have defended these films for forever. Right. I think that if you are a hater who is like, Lord of the Rings is a bad movie series. I hate it. Uh, then I think you are intentionally taking a contrarian viewpoint. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be a dick. Uh, so I'm very sorry to see it go here, but, like, we don't. You're right. We don't need to defend it. It speaks for itself. This is the Yats podcast. Man, it. We're cutting it at eleven. Oh god. <laughs> I did not think this would happen, but it is the right thing to do. Yeah, I didn't expect it to go lower than ten. Truthfully, I didn't either. I thought it I didn't might go, go lower than six five. to ten range. <laughs> wow. That just okay. But I feel like if Lord of the Rings is going here. That goes to show you how violent the top nine is going to get. One of us, like, or a couple of, we're, we're all coming out with some wounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After these ten. Well, before we get into more bloodshed, Caleb, did you have any eulogy you wanted to give these movies? No, I really liked your reading of Fellowship compared to Two Towers and Return. I think, yeah, like Fellowship, man, it is... It's beautiful. Like, it just presents a world. Like, when you go read Fellowship, you're like, and then you go watch it. It's like, man, like, Peter Jackson's direction is. Mm-hmm. This is like what crisp. I imagine. Yeah. Like, this yeah. is it. Yeah. Man, it's. it's Thank you, New Zealand. Right? <laughs> well, in the beautiful transition of the opening of Lord of the Rings how they give this huge exposition dump of Gladriel kind of telling the events of yeah. Sauron and the war for the... And, and they go from this huge, epic, grand opening and this just 
darkness and Howard Shore's beautiful score is playing as Isildur is killed and Gollum finds the ring. And then we go to the Shire, which is just the most majestic and beautiful mm-hmm. and wonderful location. And you spend the next three movies just this idea of like, we're fighting against Sauron and evil because the peacefulness and wonder of something like the Shire, of that fantasy world, deserves to be fought for. And the fact that they take a character like Arwen and Aragorn's relationship and they put it so front and center stage and they got Enya singing and ah, Howard Shore's score. I, I genuinely believe that Howard Shore's score for these movies is the best score of the 21st century for any film. Yeah, you're, I mean... You're that, dead right. That may continue just, to be true as the years go on throughout the century. <laughs> just so many good moments. Gandalf yeah. finding the Balrog, <laughs> Sean Bean's dying words as Boromir. Yeah. My, uh, and it's funny because I'm mainly talking about Fellowship of the Ring, but Two Towers or Return of the King are also great films. Yep. It's a disservice here to put it at 11, but I think as a group, this is the decision we need to make. Yep. Agreed. I'm on board. Caleb, without further ado, you get to open us up for the top 10. We are now da, 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 spot da, 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 number 10. Uh, well, I know which one I'm not picking. <laughs> and I so that just leaves me with one, I, I believe. <laughs> All right. What is it? It's, uh, it's episode three. Dude. <laughs> No, no. How did we allow this to happen? How did episode three go above Lord of the Rings? How, you know, Caleb, dude? How? Fracking, fracking, fracking. You, you know, Caleb, one thing we could do is we could cut Zodiac here. I mean, do you really want to do that? Revenge of the Sith is better than Zodiac. I agree with that statement. Caleb, why don't we cut Zodiac here? Since it's your cut, and I know you've wanted to cut it. Ja- Caleb, Caleb, do not let this influence you. I know exactly what he's doing. The next thing he's going to try and do is he's going to try and freaking cut. There will be blood, and he's going to be like, well, me and Caleb agreed. And then he's going to twist the knife and be like, Ooh, well, I agreed with you, and I cut Zodiac at number nine. We got to put, and then he's going to, when his eulogy, he's going to be like, I wanted to cut this at number 39 or whatever. <laughs> What do you think, Caleb? Will you let Revenge of the Sith move on if we put Zodiac here at 10? All right, Jack. Present a reason why Revenge of the Sith should move on. Remember how earlier I mentioned that I think Prestige was the weakest film on this list? Yep. Yeah. There are two films on this list that I think are way better than the rest of these films. And one of them you are trying to put at number 10. I think I know what the other one is. <laughs> well, we'll save it then. We'll we'll let the audience, you know, yeah. get excited. Man, I like Colin chose to not bring up episode three because that was the other one on my list of untouchables for you two. Because <laughs> I knew that the prequels are now very af- near and dear. <laughs> now I'm afraid that it's gone too far. <laughs> I, I'm saying right now, I will sacrifice Zodiac for Revenge of the Sith to go farther. Interesting. For evil to succeed. I feel like you and men. you, that's the only reason, I feel like that's the only reason you saved Zodiac, was to sacrifice it for Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> I like Zodiac a lot. I think it's genuinely a great movie, if not Fincher's best. Uh, yeah, that's, I disagree with that. Zodiac is in my top five on this list. Revenge of the Sith is in my top two, if not number one. If episode three goes at 10, are you going to save it? 
No, I'm 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 trying to negotiate with you to put any film that's not Revenge of the Sith at number ten, including the ones I've already. There's only one film that (laughs) that's not saved (laughs) that could go at ten. And we're not. I'm saying I'll give up my saves. I'll wasted my save is what I'm saying. Is that one film, The Holland Drive? Wait, how many saves have I done? I don't know, Jack. I think I messed up. Hold on. You've done two. Oh, then I'll save Revenge of the Sith. We're good. Yeah, no, that's... Yeah, just just do it. So... I apologize. I might cut some of that out, because I definitely yeah. overthought that. Yeah, I'm saving Revenge of the Sith. Sweet. So, at number... What goes here, then? Yeah, Jack. What goes here? <laughs> so, Caleb, of the films that Colin and I love... What, what what's worth cutting here? Like what what is your least favorite? Just be honest with us, because so I don't want to cut. There will be blood saved, if that's Colin's favorite. We've all saved three films, right? Yes. Yes. So that guarantees them spots in the top nine. Yes. What's the one film that hasn't been saved? Mulholland Drive. Drive. Yeah. I want to fight for mine. My three. Colin wants to. I believe wants to fight for his three. In the top nine. Jack, do yeah. you want to fight for your three in the top nine? I'll say this. Zodiac is not as good as Mulholland Drive. I agree with you. If you want to put Zodiac here, I'm willing to concede to that. Here's the thing, though. <laughs> is I want you to live with the consequence of saving Zodiac. <laughs> so you want to put Mulholland Drive at number 10? Well... No, but I think we have to. <laughs> I mean, here's what I'll say. I'm giving you two the option now to put one of the films you two both dislike at number 10, even though I saved it for it to go to number 9 or higher. I did do this, so this is not unprecedented. I have done this before. I, I just, Caleb, I'm just being honest with you. Zodiac is not as good as Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive is top five worthy, in my opinion, easily. Sure. But... but Here's the thing, Caleb. I won't be upset because... Do you know what the Sight and Sound Top 250 is? Nope. What is that? It's this big list that a bunch of critics contribute to every 10 years where they basically take all these lists and organize it by um, like what all the critics think the best movies are. The last time they did this was 2012 when Vertigo won and Citizen Kane was number two. First time in many years Citizen Kane was overthrown, yada, yada, yada. And here's the thing about the list. A lot of it is kind of older classic films that everyone loves, and they're classics for a reason. You know, you got Rules of the Game, you got Sunrise, you got The Searchers, Battleship Potomacan, Eight and a Half, Breathless, Passage of an Arc, Seven Samurai. Only about 12 films from the 21st century made it on that list. And Mulholland Drive made it there on 28. So Mulholland Drive is a lot like the Lord of the Rings trilogy in that... It's better than number 10, and the people who know that, like, you know, they don't need me to defend it, per se. But yeah, I have used same, all my saves. It's the same argument for Lord of the Rings. That's what I hear. Yes, yes. Now, I am just trying to let you know that I don't think No Country for Old Men and Zodiac are better than Mulholland Drive, so I'm giving you the option to cut one of those two films. Yeah, see, and here's... I, I'm going to put Mulholland Drive here, but I want to reiterate, like... Part of the reason why is one you have to 
live with the fact that you saved these three, so we're going to bring them to the top nine and let them contend for those positions. And then on top of that, if I go ahead and cut Zodiac here and put take Mahal and Drive on, it has to do with like, I feel like it's like a principle of the matter. Like <laughs> you, He's trying to punish you for saving Zodiac. Yeah, there's that, but I don't want to so, just, there's something else I'm trying to capture. Whoa, you whoa, might have to whoa. edit this a bit. <laughs> you're, no, you're good. I, I kind of yeah. get the vibe. Colin, let me ask you this. Yeah. I am giving Caleb the option to cut Zodiac, a film you've said you don't like. Do you think Caleb should take that opportunity? I 100% do. I've never seen Mulholland Drive, but I hear it's pretty good. So anything to get Zodiac as low as possible on this list. Caleb, remember, the last time we did this, I did the, I saved Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, I, I, I remember. I, I remember. And I cut it at like what like 11 or 12 or something yeah like, i did this exact i do thing. i do remember i do remember so like he he is allowed to offer this and you did not no i because you're 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 twisting the knife on him here's the and thing didn't twist if the we knife let me muholland drive go on colin yeah it's gonna i am fully convinced that it's probably gonna end up in the top three if not one or two i don't like it. i mean i haven't seen it I'm not, I'm Caleb. I'm not allowed to have an opinion. Okay. This is established. So like, Caleb, you need to ask yourself, is, how does Mulholland Drive rank amongst the three films you saved? Cause you have the power right now and you, yeah. I am allowing you to cut Zodiac. I think Caleb, like, I know, I, I know what I, I would have, do. You would cut Zodiac, but I would cut Zodiac. I, man, I don't want to do that. I want to leave Mulholland Drive here. <laughs> I really do, man. Then let's do it. You've decided, yeah. my friend. Wow. All right. Like all right, I, all right, all right. I want, yeah. That's what I want to do. Go for it. Whoops. Sorry. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, Caleb, you can start us with eulogy since you're the one who cut it. Since you're the one yeah. doing it. Yep. <laughs> As we've all discussed before, with. Twin Peaks, we're 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 David Lynch fans. We we are getting into, at least I'm getting more into his movies. I've seen a few more than I have at this time a year ago, or the, this time when we recorded the 2010s discussion. I love his style. Like I'm gonna keep watching him, and probably keep falling in love with with his mind and what and what he wants to do on the screen. With Mahal and Jeff specifically, these what's the they were at like a what were they doing they were they were at a theater of some sort like the nightclub at the end yeah yeah where the, she's singing the song except it's a recording yeah i know what you're talking yeah. about club silencio or something yeah that that sequence that's got to be like my my favorite part of the movie oh it's a beautiful sequence it just put me in this like trance watching it i'd almost compare it to what what just came to mind was when i watched carol and like when they're in, driving in the tunnel and there's like the scores going oh, like that. Oh. I don't know if it's like Rooney Mara becoming transfixed, but I don't know. Like it was, it had a similar vibe for me. Like there was, I really appreciated those sequences on screen. So, I mean, I, oh gosh, I want to, I kind of want to rewatch them all and try now. <laughs> you know, but, it's, and Colin hasn't seen yeah. it. So the three of us need to get together and watch it. Yeah, I own a copy. It's, it is one of the great movies. Like, I, I am happy to beat Lord of the Rings because I think the Lord of the Rings trilogy and Mulholland Drive yeah. are both calling them top tier movies does not justify how good they are. Right. 
And I keep forgetting that, <laughs> that Billy Ray Cyrus appears in it, and it's like, oh, oh so good. So good. <laughs> yeah. Just, I love Billy Ray Cyrus. It's a small bit, but it's so good. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I'll, I'll go ahead and wrap this up, if that's okay with you, Caleb. Yeah, Colin hasn't seen it. I don't want to give away too much for him. Yeah, I'm not going to spoil too much. But no, Mulholland Drive is such a beautiful culmination of David Lynch's love for both film and television, which I think makes the L.A. setting all the more perfect. Sure. And to think that, like, ABC rejected his idea for this pilot for what was potentially going to be his next Twin Peaks, and then he said, well, we're going to turn it into a beautiful film and just made a surrealist masterpiece. It's so cool. I, I've heard the description that it's like, Mulholland Drive is if you took the pilot episode of Twin Peaks and combined it with Fire Walk With Me to create just such a strange experience. And I really dig that because there's so much good stuff in Mulholland Drive. Speaking of Twin Peaks, I think what makes Mulholland Drive work so well is it's a film that I personally think turns you not only into a detective, but it makes you go, you need to be Agent Dale Cooper. You don't need to just be a good detective. You need to be a detective that hones in on your spiritual and intuitive powers that come from your sense of identity and core. Wow. And that might be a bit of a stretch diving into like Lynch's on a tour, but I genuinely think the more you watch Mulholland Drive, the more you're going to become like Agent Cooper. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's just, there's so much to say about this movie. It's a fascinating character study. It's a suburban noir mystery. It is a terrifying horror film the part where they're at the diner and the guys behind the oh, it's so, so good. It's just one of the best examples of surrealism, absurdism. It's phenomenal. It's just such a good film. And yeah, I want to end with a quote Lynch said in an interview about this film. The quote came from the interviewer talking about how he was like, you know, David Lynch, I can tell this is a contemporary film, but it also could be set in like the 30s, 40s, or 50s. And Lynch's response was so beautiful. He said, you know, many times during the day we plan for the future, but yet many times in the day we think of the past. We're listening to retro radio and watching retro TV. There are all kinds of opportunities to relive the past, and there are new things coming up every second. There is some kind of present, but the present is the most elusive because it's going real fast. Mm. I have no fucking clue what Mulholland Drive is about. I just know it's a masterpiece. One of the all-time <laughs> great films. That's a good way of, of saying it. I like that. Yeah. I'm excited to sit down and watch it with you and Colin. It'll be fun. I'm excited to watch it, too. That was number 10, David Lynch's 2001 film, Mulholland Drive. Colin, take us away for number 9. I have a sneaky feeling I know what you're going to pick. Let me mark off Mulholland Drive. Unbelievable. Caleb... Your logic here baffles me. Absolutely baffles me. But okay. I'm taking Roy off the grid. <laughs> he really is. That yeah, was a you're, very take. You're, you're doing some, <laughs> I guess you're doing some 40 chess or something, man. I don't know. But I think you're Colin, dead, dead I hate to wrong. do this to you, man. <laughs> Colin, I already moved Zodiac to number nine on the Google Docs. <laughs> I know you're about to cut it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Get get rid of that shit, dude. I hate I hate this movie. This is the literally this is the only movie I think on this list that I actively do not like. That makes so. me so sad, Colin, because we watched it together and I was just geeking out the whole time. And I was just on my phone the whole time because I was bored. 
Got him. And I was on my phone for sure. The whole All right, time. Jack, let's get into this elaborate write-up you have for Zodiac. I want to hear about yeah, this. Yeah, I want to hear you defend this film. I'm not going to defend this film because here's the thing. This film was so well-loved before I even like sat down and watched it. There's so many people who go for bat for this film. And it's kind of like Once Upon a Time in the West. I can get in the mindset of, oh, I need to defend this film from Colin and Caleb, but the reality is there's so many people who love it more than I do, so I don't even know if I can really justify how good it is. But I'll try, so let's go. You see, on this podcast, I have a tendency to try to take two or three scenes from the film we watch and kind of analyze these scenes frame by frame and talk about, you know, what works from these scenes from an artistic perspective and what spoke to me about these scenes. And the thing with Zodiac is I think Fincher's direction is so strong and so good that I found it so overwhelming to pick and choose what works about this film. Whether it's just the way they do really subtle eye-level shots, whether it's the very strange and weird lighting reflecting the darkness of the story. I, I get it, Colin. This film is a lot. It's over two hours long. There's a lot of story, a lot of just police procedurals. I can get why you think this is a boring movie. But really, I think underneath this parade of information that Zodiac is about when it comes to Zodiac Killer, it digs into something really deeper. This is a story about the elusive nature of evil. And it's a story about that evil and how we as humanity think with the right information and the right knowledge and the right tactics and the right technology, we could just solve the problem of evil and catch the Zodiac Killer. Whether you're Ruffalo's cop or Hall's writer going detective mode. The Zodiac Killer was never caught, and there's something incredibly bleak and dark about this story. And I have to kind of take a sec to say, outside of the textual conversation about this movie, there's a lot I enjoy from a technical level about how they shot this digitally. I think people like Michael Mann and George Lucas deserve all the praise for being kind of you know, the great digital filmmakers, and that's awesome because I love Michael Mann and George Lucas. But really, what Fincher and Harris Savitas did with their cinematography is really, really nice. So much thought and care went into how shots were framed, how the lighting looked, what they were going for, and how they chose to cut and direct these scenes. It is brilliant cinematography that almost every positive review I see of this movie praises. So I can get that. Maybe some of these things with this story or with the miss on scene didn't gel for you two, but it really worked for me, and I love this film. Zach, uh, I did it again. because <laughs> Zodiac and Jack. Jack, that was a beautiful... I really like what you just said about Zodiac. Um, I think that you really have encapsulated uh, a description of a film that's, that's quite good. Uh, you know, I, and I'm just kidding, dude. I fucking hate it. It's trash. Garbage, <laughs> garbage tier film. Uh, it, it blows my mind that it made it this far. I, I hate it. It's so boring. It's like a bad version of Criminal Minds. Oof. I, I, I'm, I'm just saying, like, I, I'm very sorry. The, the lighting to me was so bad. It was so dark all the time. I don't know about the philosophy. Sure, Jack, that was beautiful about the philosophy of it. But, like, dude... I hate, I will, I'm not a fan of, of this film. I'm so sorry to take a poo-poo on something you like. 
I mean, I'm used to it. Song to song, once upon a time in the West, Zodiac gets to join these classics. Yeah, it, it does. Now, now Colin, <laughs> for the record, I do think Fellowship of the Ring and Mulholland Drive are better than Zodiac. On the record, I will put that. Caleb's Thank last decision definitely God, confused me, but you know, it's Caleb's decision, not mine. Yep, it is. Yeah, we can talk about that in a, in, in a bit. But I think Colin's point about the lighting, I want to kind of go f- from there into something. Because for Fincher, I was surprised that the tone you described, Jack, about the darkness of these themes and how kind of bleak it is and where it leaves you hanging, thinking about evil and its presence and what what can you do about it? What can you really do about it? Because sometimes... There's nothing it seems you can do, which is where the whole conversation with Holland Drive is even more fascinating about, you know, you becoming like Dale Cooper. (laughs) But it surprises me that the lighting and the on-screen like texture didn't really feel like it matched what Fincher's vision was with this, with presenting the story and then the text. The lighting I thought it was going to have I thought it would be more like like Benjamin Button or even the social network. Like or even Fight Club. It had like the texture and the and the and the lighting was a lot more darker and I expected that going into Zodiac. And I don't know if Fincher was going for something different like try, experimenting with something, but for me that didn't really work. I think where it works the best is with Gyllenhaal. But I thought that even that sequence with him at the end was, it just felt so disjointed from before. And I know there's like, you know, it spans a lot of time and Gyllenhaal kind of picks this up at the end and he goes on his own journey to, to find out the truth. But yeah, just overall, it did not, it did not work for me the way that, the way that the it, social ver- it very did. clearly worked for you yeah <laughs> no yeah yeah and, and like in some ways we're going to talk about this when we get to american psycho sometimes that divisive style makes me respect artists more because I'll, i i get it like what david fincher and harris safitas are doing with the cinematography it is very much taking homage to 1970s new hollywood some of what those cinematographers were doing like, who's the one guy I liked? I think it's uh, Zygmunt, who worked on Close Encounters of the Third Kind and mm-hmm. some of Robert Altman's films. Point is, is they are paying homage to that while also trying to really prove to their fellow filmmakers what digital cinematography and digital filmmaking can be about. So I think that is almost a metatextual element to the film that... I don't think needs to be a, this is why this is the best film on this list. Because this is not the best film on this list. It's easily in my top five, but I get what you two are saying. I just have to respectfully disagree. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, that's that's great. That's why we have the same system. Because what you two don't see in Zodiac, that's fine. I just love it so much. I want to fight for Zodiac. And maybe I don't want to fight for Zodiac as much as I want to fight for something like Mahal and Drive or Revenge of the Sith, but yeah. I wanted to fight for it. I love, love, love the and film. This and this is part of I the reason. I think it's my favorite Fincher. This is part of the reason why I wanted you to stick with this in your top nine or in our top nine because I wanted to hear you fight for it to, as to why it, it's earned a spot here. That's like, okay. 
That's the most logical thing I've heard Caleb say. And I will also add to that, it's kind of tangential circling back to why I picked the way I picked with 10 and 9. I felt like presenting that option at 10 was almost like my pick like i'm at 10 i feel like that was like it was being taken away (laughs) for me as if like i didn't have the option anymore it's like well like you could do this and that seems like the obvious move so you should just do it like no like i don't want to just do that (laughs) um but anyway i I digress i I wanted to give you that option because you like maholland drive more than zodiac and i like maholland drive more than zodiac and i'm pretty confident colin's gonna like maholland drive more than zodiac yeah that being said, what's done is done, and it is time for us to move on to the next pick. Let's do it. It is my turn at number eight. So here's kind of my thought process, because we've discussed a lot of strategy the past 30 minutes, yep. to the point to where I'm willing to just say, guys, you guys rock. I'm glad you're doing this. You've come on this adventure with me. I'm ready to put No Country for Old Men at number eight. Which on one end really sucks, because that would mean Mulholland Drive, Zodiac, and No Country for Old Men were all cut back to back to back. And that really sucks, because those are all, like, my top five. Now, here's the thing, though. I've just spent a lot of time talking about Mulholland Drive and Zodiac. So do you guys really want me to talk about another movie, or do we want to look at other picks? (laughs) What do you Um, mean? Like, for number eight, or? Yeah, for number eight. Like, what do we want to cut here? Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, whose pick is it? Or are we just kind of working Jack's. together? It's my okay. pick. And I mean, I'm asking it's you Jack's guys what... pick, but he's he's enlisting our assistance. Sure. Look, dude, Revenge of the Sith. I hate I hate to do it to you, but <laughs> that's where I'm at. Yeah. So. I mean, truthfully, my love for Revenge of the Sith is really pure nostalgia. Like that that that's where I'm at with it. And I'm gonna stick to that till the day I die. Like especially with the prequels in general. Like that's some of the best stuff I ever watched as a kid. <laughs> and I'm gonna fight for that. So I, I don't have much of an opinion when it comes to like where should it go in this this top nine? I don't I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I, I I don't know either. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, I think I would have been more content with us putting Revenge of the Sith here if we hadn't cut Mulholland Drive. Okay. Oh, so you're saying that you want Revenge of the Sith to go further? Still? The one thing I wanted out of this list was either Mulholland Drive or Revenge of the Sith to get in the top three. That was the one thing I wanted. Jesus. Yeah. See, and see, do you see my play, Colin? I do, but <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I don't know. <laughs> the Revenge of the Sith in the top three, bro. <laughs> oh <laughs> We have broken Colin yeah. today. <laughs> Caleb and I are oh, mad man. <laughs> this is why we're okay. doing a season finale to give him a recipe. Yeah, bring it in yeah, someone else right, to come and, and help us out. Break. <laughs> Jeez. Oh gosh. Okay. Um Jack, I think you're gonna have to cut Revenge of the Sith here. So there there are other movies that I want to go sooner than like I would put Yeah, I'm just gonna say there are movies that I would rather stop here, if that makes sense. Like I'm open to that discussion. Yeah, Caleb, like 
what are you? What is what you're saying is if I cut No Country for Old Men here, you're not going to cut because you're next at number seven. You're not yeah. going to cut Revenge of the Sith. Right, right. So here, here's where I'm at in in my personal list of top ten. Well, I guess like looking at the top eight, I have Children of Men at my number seven. Like I don't think it's top five. But it's like towards the bottom of the, or towards like the mid range. So like, I'd be open to a discussion about it here, but I'd also be happy to pick it, like next round too. Colin, which one's better, Children of Men or No Country for Old Men? Uh. <laughs> now this is a fascinating conversation. I'm I'm curious about oh. that. Because I like No Country for Old Men a lot more than Children of Men, but I'm okay. I think with I do too. I think I do too, dude. I think I do too. Then Caleb, with your permission, I want to cut Children of Men at number eight. Okay. Yeah, I'm willing to. I'm willing to give that because I don't really see Children of Men getting closer to the top or getting closer to the top five. If that makes sense. No, yeah, that's definitely not a film I think yeah. should be in top five. Which and I never thought this the part, whole time. I just wanted to get it here into the top ten. <laughs> I respect that. And maybe there's a world where Children and Men doesn't beat Mahal and Driver Zodiac. But, you know, like, I respect your decision, and I know Colin likes Children and Men. And, and honestly, I like Children and Men. I think it's the second best Alfonso Cuaron film. Who wants to start us off on eulogies for our number eight spot, Children of Men? I'll go ahead and do it. I don't have a ton to say. We get stoned Michael Caine. That's nice. Yes. Um, so good. That's, yep. that's really good. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big, huge advocate for stoned Michael Caine. <laughs> Man, there are, how many scenes, are, Jack, are there in this movie where there's one-shots, one-takes? I want to say there's three, but the only three. two I can remember is the big car scene where they get ambushed and mm-hmm. Julian Moore gets killed, and then near the mm-hmm. end where they're running away. Yeah with the baby as they're being chased through the war zone. Right. Oh, right. Man, what a great sequence. It's so good. Like, I yeah. know it's kind of overhyped, but, man, it's, it's a good sequence. It's that it, good, it, though. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it really, it's a no BS type of one take. I mean, they really try and make you that way. Uh, I love this movie. I think it's absolutely fantastic. But I just don't think that it deserves to go any further than than this unfortunately it's riveting it's a masterpiece i think that it's under criminally criminally underrated and that more people should watch this movie yes but i'm glad that it's not gonna bust our top five right if i'm being yeah and i real didn't intend on doing that so i'm yeah, glad I didn't it's want here to bust in the top five <laughs> so i want to say this I've talked about my boy Emmanuel Lubensky before when we've talked about Malick films, but man, he is so, so good in Children of Men. His cinematography, it cannot be understated. It's so good. He's so, got such a strong grasp at the camera movement and how they handle these shots. Like, Karan and Lubensky both are true artists. I think this is one of those films that taught a lot of 90 kids like myself that the cinematographer can be just as much of an auteur as the director. And I think that's really cool about Children of Men. But the final thing I'll say is something that it's kind of deep and it might be a little too heavy, but I just want to say that scrolling through Letterboxd and looking at a lot of the five-star reviews, 
there's something incredibly depressing about how many people have realized that, like, oh, Children of Men is basically happening now. Between ICE and Border Patrol and what's going on with Brexit and the UK, a lot of kids who end up in those cages that the US and the UK, you know, put in them are going to watch Children of Men in 20 years and be like, oh, that was me when I was a kid, when I was four years old. And that's incredibly heartbreaking, but I think there's something powerful about how Kuran and his team capture that in this little science fiction film. And yeah. yeah, it breaks my heart, but it's like, that is the power of good filmmaking, to capture truth before the world even kind of hit that place. Really good piece of dystopian science fiction. Oh, yeah, that's that's one of the things I wanted to bring up. So nice job, Jack. <laughs> I mean, people joke that like, oh, Black Mirror is happening every day, but like Children of Men is like, yeah, yeah like... You know, and I guess kind of I'll specifically the, yeah. bring up the like the sterility of the world and children of men and how like no one's having kids anymore of the dystopian things that I've read and watched. That is by far some of the most horrifying things to think about is like everyone's just dying off and there's nobody coming into this world anymore. Gosh, that's bleak. I just think yeah. about it's like the world's decaying, yeah. and yeah, it's like we're letting li- ourselves nothing go we can extinct. do about it. Like that's just yeah, we're watching like yeah. literally on screen. You're watching humanity go extinct. Yeah, like your very eyes mm-hmm. before your very eyes. Yeah, and I mean it's it's powerful. Yeah, it's freaky freaky stuff. A potential criticism that I might present of Children of Men is this is what I have read because I you know I've been on a I haven't finished. I don't know if I will, but I I haven't finished my my. I guess I should say caught up because they're still airing it. I haven't caught up to The Walking Dead. <laughs> and a criticism that I've heard of The Walking Dead, because it's a very similar idea, like dystopian environment where people are slowly becoming zombies, dying off. Like the human race as we know it is is ending. A criticism I've I've read is that it's just this cycle of, oh no, we're being chased. You find sanctuary everything's okay and then oh no it's been disrupted we're being chased you find sanctuary it's okay for a second and then it it continues to cycle through that and over time in the walking dead if you really watch all of it it really starts to get old (laughs) i could see that as a potential criticism of children of men is like they're seeking sanctuary and it doesn't do anything new with that concept it just repeats it and to some degree I think there's some uniqueness, some unique, unique flavors to it, but I think just repeating that cycle over and over is not a, in terms of this a good film, story. Like, like, if you don't mind me kind of jumping off where you're going, Caleb, yeah. it's not quite like a Mad Max where there's a certain right, flavor right. to the apocalypse you're seeing. This is, it's very bleak, it's very realistic, it's very gray, Yeah, and, and I get what you're getting at, and I think that's part of the reason why we're not pushing it for the top Sure, five. sure. But yeah, I wanted to share that too because I feel like I was I was at a certain point I got to be the one that was like advocating for it to be here and I wanted to say like there are things that I see that are challenging with this movie in terms of why I may not find it as good to be in the top in the top 5. But the actor that plays um the last thing I'll say and then I'll be done, I promise. The actor that plays Luke is I don't know how to pronounce his name. It's like Chewittle um Right, yeah. right. He was in Doctor Strange and Twelve Years a Slave. I know. Yeah, and he was in Elo um, Horror or something. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He was in 2012 as well as as the it's like the government guy that um, helps them get on board the ships. But anyway, 
when I saw him in 2012, I was like, man, this is a bad movie, but I really like him as an actor. This is the one with uh, John Cusack. Um, yeah, I know you're talking about. Yeah. And I'm excited that I got to see him in a movie of this caliber because he's actually he's very good. Like, I haven't seen 12 Years a Slave, and I'm, I'm sure he's great in, that, in it, too. But he is phenomenal here. Nice. No, that was well said, Caleb. Thank yeah. you. All right. Well, Caleb, that was number eight, Children of Men. Caleb, you are now at number seven. What are you picking? So for number seven, I know, Jack, I know you don't want Revenge of the Sith, so, like, what should I pick, man? Um, <laughs> you can pick No Country. I, I told you yeah. earlier, if you want to pick No Country for old men here, I'm okay with that. But you're the one. I thought it was. Oh, Colin didn't save no country. You saved no country. That's right. That's yeah. correct. I saved yeah. no country. Um, so then let's let's go ahead and put no country here if, if that's if that's chill for you. I'm all right with that. Great. You won't hear complaints from me. Caleb, I'll let you start with the eulogies. Yeah, I've been getting super into the Coen brothers recently. I watched their debut last month, Blood Simple. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. That is a very great movie from the 80s like i haven't seen many 80s movies i'm trying to expand my my catalog next to blue velvet another david lynch movie my two favorite movies from the decade so far wow like the coen brothers had a strong debut the strongest stronger than kaufman i will say we talked about synecdoche new york last time i watched synecdoche new york three times then i watched blood simple blood simple is the stronger debut easy Dude, I'm excited to watch it. Yeah. But what about No Country for Old Men, Caleb? <laughs> yeah. See, both were shot in Texas, which is why I brought up Blood Simple. I love the actors in No Country. I didn't like the story as much. And I know it's adapted, right? It's adapted from a book. It is from a book, yes. The Cormac McCarthy book, yeah. Mm-hmm. Some friends who love, who love Cohen, who, who love the Cohen brothers, told me that I would particularly like the source material. So I haven't checked it out yet, but I, I'm, I'm excited to. I'll go next. Uh, what is the, please someone remind me, top of, I can't remember off the top of my head, what is the name of the actor who plays Anton in this? Javier Bardem. Javier Bardem, okay. What a performance from our boy. I like this movie because it's, it's, it's one of my favorite uh, slow burn films of all time. Yeah, yeah. And it's very difficult, very, very difficult for me in particular to enjoy a slow burn film like this one. The dark moments where you're so on edge are, are amazing. Dude, the coin flip scene. Oh, dang. Oh, dang. That dude has no clue. None. Like, what is happening? And it's obviously such a big deal to Anton, and it's very unsettling for the guy, and he doesn't know why it's so unsettling. And we do, good old dramatic irony, but it's just, it's one of those things. It's it's just one of those magical scenes where there's poo-poo in my pants, you know? <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. There's there is poo poo in my pants when I uh, when I watch that movie. It's where when I watch scenes like that in that movie, and I could go on and on and say, oh, like the there's so much good editing, like where he gets to 
put the money in the in the air conditioning vent and then oh, later the on in the movie sequence. Yeah. the motel oh, so sequence good. where he looks in the vent and it's not there and it's like oh he's in the wrong motel oh gee. stuff like that is it's just so good the ending sequence where the where i mean essentially the bad guy just walks away totally scot free nothing bad is ever going to happen to anton no, I mean, like, the postmodern take is kind of, whether it's in the normal Western, the hero goes away in the sunset. In this version of the Western, the villain goes away in the sunset. Yeah. It's very, he, like, postmodern, neo-noir Western vibe. It's it's very he, chilling. Yeah, he gets away with it. Very nice. You know? Like, he gets away with it, 100%. You just don't get a movie, a movie like that that does the, oh, the bad guy gets away well, and this movie does the bad guy gets away well. And we can't forget to mention our boy Tommy Lee Jones. Man, redneck sensibility. If you need a redneck gruff jerk, Tommy Lee Jones is not a bad choice. <laughs> not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my that's my hot take on this film. Yeah, going back to Conan's filmography, I think that they would actually make my favorite film by them after this one, which is Burn After Reading, which I think is easily my favorite Conan Brothers film. But man, No Country, I'm so glad I fought for it because it deserves to be here at number seven, if not higher. It is a phenomenal, crazy, well-put-together film. One of the most brilliant slow burn pieces, the lack of score, the intense direction, the performances. Oh my gosh. And one little thing that we haven't mentioned is this really does capture a certain kind of stoic southernism that men of a certain age have who live in these kind of cowboy times in Texas. I feel like being from Texas also, yeah, maybe skews us. Sure. Excuse me a little bit, but sure. even so, it's that good. So. Okay, Caleb, do you remember that podcaster I showed you? I think her name is Laura Jacoviz. Maybe. What's it called? Uh, anyways, I'll look it up later. Okay. She has a review where she just says that my dad does not watch films. He saw this movie twice in theaters by himself. And I think this film captures a certain aging generation of vibe that just works really well. Part of it's because of how it looks at the Western and how it kind of plays around with those themes and those ideas and those structures, like we were yeah. talking about with the villain winning. And despite the fact that this is very much a man's man film that guys love, I really think the underrated performance, not just from this movie, but on this list, has to go to Kelly McDonald, who plays Carla Jean, which is Josh Brolin's character's wife. She's only in the movie for like four or five scenes, but she just carries herself in this very old-timey southern style and drawl and... It's a really strong performance that I think is highly underrated and gets looked over because of just how many strong things are going, how many quality aspects of this film are going on. So, yeah, it's a man's man film, but Kelly McDonald, I gotta give you a shout out. The final thing I'll say, and then we'll move on because we're getting close to the top five, baby. One of my all-time favorite memories in high school. It's my senior year of high school. It was like the third to last week of school. We were all about to go leave, go to college. And I was hanging out with just very different groups of people. There were jocks there. There were band geeks there. There were, like, social outcasts there, goth kids there, kids who spent all their time studying and didn't have any friends. And we were just hanging out talking about this movie and how much we liked it. 
And one guy, who's like the, the cool drug dealer kid, he looked at us, he said, you know, I really hated the ending of that movie when I first watched it, where Tommy Lee Jones is just all like, you know, I, I didn't catch up with my dad on those horses. And we all kind of looked at each other, and just in silence, we all kind of nodded our heads like, yeah, that ending was fucking epic. <laughs> nice. Now, I think this is a beautiful film, and I'm very happy you guys yeah. let me take it this Well, I guess you didn't because I saved it. But <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I love it, love it, love it. Man, I wish I had connected with the ending the way that sounds like y'all did, but I just... I it was really just didn't. a weird bonding moment for a bunch of random high school yeah. boys from very different walks of life. Yeah. Colin, are you ready to take us away at number six? No. <laughs> All right, I'm going to bring him up. Where are we at <laughs> with the two I'm not allowed to ask about? The or, two? Oh, excuse me, the one I'm not allowed to ask about, Eternal Sunshine. I'll say this much. I like Eternal Sunshine more than I like Little Miss Sunshine. That's not to say that I want Little Miss Sunshine to go here. <laughs> oh, well, Caleb, are you sure? I'm just but <laughs> the thing is, at this point... Jack's given up two of his three, and we're all going to have to give up something before we get to that top three. Maybe even True. two of our picks. Like obviously, two of our picks. Hopefully, hopefully. I've also let Mulholland Drive go, which I wanted in the top five. <laughs> right. This kind of reminds me of my thing with Midsummer last time. It was like, I think it's a similar <laughs> spot where I felt like, you know, I want to f- keep fighting for this, but, you know, I don't, I don't have to. Man. I do think that Little Miss Sunshine is better than American Psycho, and there will be blood. No. Sorry. If that, <laughs> if that helps you out at all, I don't know. But Look, I, I am perfectly okay with you uh, holding me to the screws on this and being like, Colin, you're not allowed to cut this because you're not allowed to cut this. You know, you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. you haven't seen it. Like, if you were to look at me and say that right now, I, I mean, okay Eternal Sunshine, it. yeah. Like, I like straight up, I'd be okay with it. But yeah, I know Jack would want it probably cut earlier than this, so he would be on board. Yeah, I would be on board with it going here. I'll say this, gentlemen, and I'm after Colin, so it's good to say this. There is only one film left on this list I care about. Oh, I know which one it is. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> so. We'll we'll see how it goes. At this point, like as long as you don't pick Revenge of the Sith, I am happy. <laughs> wow. So okay, like that. That's where I'm at. You guys have taken all my favorites. Colin, <laughs> like, let's. How do you feel about Little Miss Sunshine? We're leaving Little Miss Sunshine here. What do you think? I'm okay with it. Like, do you think it's top five material? Like, do you think Little Miss Sunshine no. is? No, I do okay. not think that it is top five material. I I do. Like I think it, it's like on my list. It's like four or five, but I'm I'm fine cutting it here to advance our our list and to advance the plot. To yeah, advance <laughs> the plot. Yeah. Okay. We then, gotta have then, our Return of the King moment and realize right. we need to get to the ending. Then let's do. I will cut Little Miss Sunshine. Let's make it official. Mark it down. I have a quick eulogy, so I'll be very very fast. I have a pretty quick eulogy also. I never remember how to pronounce this band, or maybe it's a solo artist who has a weird name, but it's like Divuchika? Nope, I don't know. <laughs> they did a lot of the original music for this. I think it's a band. 
Anyways, the, the, I was just going to say that there's a lot of good stuff here in Little Miss Sunshine, but man, when you get a score and you combine a bunch of horns and strings and accordions and pianos, oh, you are going to make me a happy boy, that's for sure. All work, no, anyway, yeah. Also, I said this last time on our last list when we talked about Call Me By Your Name, but, you know, I'm very happy that these smaller independent films get to give my boy Sufjan Stevens a shout-out. There's a lot of people who probably went back and listened to his 05 album, Illinois, because they heard his song from that album, Chicago, play throughout Little Miss Sunshine. So, great, great score. Cannot stress that enough. Also, one last thing I realized I wanted to say. When I first watched this movie in high school... Like everyone who first watches it, I hated Greg Kinnear's character, the father. I hated him. He was oh, yeah. such an asshole. And I rewatched it for the first time like a month or two ago. And Colin had never seen the film before. Nope. Just never. Every had. time Greg Kinnear was up there, especially that first half of the movie, Colin would just get so angry and start, I'm about to say it, yelling at the screen. Colin hated Greg Kinnear's character. And it was just so fun to be all like, Man, Colin doesn't know what's going to happen. This is awesome. Colin is so invested, and he just hates this jerk. It was a nice, fun experience. <laughs> oh, yeah. Caleb, I respect this movie more because you fought for it so hard. Well, thanks for saying that. I appreciate that. I think you're a, a moron for putting Mulholland Drive after this one, but, you know, <laughs> that will be the meanest thing I say about you in 2021. Yeah. Like, I, I get why you like this more than Zodiac, but putting this yeah, above all on drive is going to break part of my brain. <laughs> Sometimes you got to be a little chaotic. you gotta you got to spice it you up. You succeeded <laughs> with flying. Dude, you killed it on the chaos scale. <laughs> Man, when I... Oh, gosh. Why? why Tony Collette, does she have an, an Oscar? Like, I feel like at this point... We've, I don't think Society she has done her a disservice <laughs> if she doesn't have an Oscar. <laughs> yeah. She is. Man. Especially in, um, I'm thinking of ending things, her last, at least I think that was the last movie she did. She's a great actress. Maybe one of my, one of my top actresses to, to watch. And for a lot of theater goers, this was their first time seeing her on the yeah, big screen. Yeah. She wasn't that big before this movie. Man, that, golly, the whole, the, so the time from when they get to the, um, to the hotel or wherever they're performing for the pageant. To the, the conventions, to, it's to like the, the community center. Yeah, to the end, I was just, I was laughing almost nonstop. That every single scene packed a huge punch for me. That was, oh my gosh, it's a. Uh, Pierce has a great quote in Community where he says, uh, "Culturally, it's it's uh, unacceptable, but it's theatrical dynamite." <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> culturally it's unacceptable but yeah no just that the script the mix of the dark tones with with the comedy i am into that right now like i i love it this movie is awesome and it's awesome in the same way that ladybird was awesome Mm. because familial relationships for those out there who do not get to engage with I feel like it's very easy to get sucked into a a routine, especially as an adult, especially in like a job where you don't have to necessarily interact with other people or the level or like a retail job or like Jack's job where, yeah, he's talking to people, but he doesn't have to see those people. He doesn't Mm, have to. Yeah, I see what you're getting at. I feel like as a modern day adult, 
it's it's very easy to miss how horrible, terrible, messed up other people's lives are. <laughs> yeah. Because you never know. And right, I, right. I, and so because I'm a teacher and I, even as a teacher, I still don't get to see exactly how messed up stuff is. But I get a little bit more of a glimpse into especially teenagers, like everyday life, I would argue, than the average person does. Little Miss Sunshine does a really good job of highlighting the fact that there are people that exist in the world who are horrible, terrible parents. Uh, And there are people who exist in the world who are amazing, amazing parents. I think that this movie does a really good job of reminding us that you know, whenever you get into a fight with mom or dad or whatever, like, there's probably someone out there who's got a Greg Kinnear for a dad, you know? And, like, while Greg Kinnear as a dad is not the same caliber of douchebaggery that would like, that's like, you know, someone who is actively physically abusive or sexually He does abusive. have a bit of a, like, a redemption arc in this mm-hmm. He does, and he does. And you find out, and you find that out, You the more the movie goes, the more you end up thinking realizing oh he's like this because of his familial relationship with his father he's Mm -hmm, he mm -hmm. took the logical extreme and went in the opposite direction of his father and then the father dies and that's kind of like the moment for greg kinnear where he's like man i'm doing it wrong like i'm i'm fathering i'm parenting wrong Mm. and he kind of starts having a turnaround but it, it serves as a reminder to me that not every parent has that redemption arc. Also, Paul Dano. Oh, yeah. Good boy. I think it's oh, cool so that good. he's so in good. two of the movies that are going to be in our top ten. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's a win. <laughs> so that's my eulogy. That was longer than I thought. The but... scene where he's so defeated out in the field and Abigail Breslin just comes up. He, she doesn't say anything. That was, she just puts her hand that on That was him. perfect. Oh, yeah. I love that bit. Yeah. So, so good. Yeah. And he just says, okay, you know, we gotta, we gotta get back in. We gotta yeah. keep going. And he apologizes. I, I love it. Yeah. And he yeah. apologized. Like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean what yeah. I said. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. It's incredible. It's yeah. so good. Gentlemen, we are now at the top five. So real quick, I'm going to read these final five films, and then we'll hop into it. What we have left is American Psycho, The Dark Knight, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, and There Will Be Blood. I'm up next for number five. Gentlemen, here's where I'm at. Only one of these films I'm willing to fight for. Right. It's like one of my all-time, all-time favorite movies versus four films that I think are all great. I think they're all classics. I think they all definitely deserve a spot in this top five. But I also, like, don't have a strong opinion at what goes here at number five. Does that make sense? Sure. So, earlier we did that Harry Potter joke where I count down to three, and you both gave me your least favorite Harry Potter film. Okay. Colin, Caleb, how would you two feel about, with the exception of Revenge of the Sith, because I'm not cutting Revenge of the Sith. (laughs) You can cut it next, Caleb, if you really want to, at number four. Fine, whatever, fuck it. 
but the other four films, I can do another countdown, and you can tell me your least favorite film. Well, I have an idea for what should go here, but... You know what? Let's not do my idea, because Colin hasn't seen Spotless Mind. Caleb, what's your idea? I, I mean, truthfully, of this whole list, like, American Psycho, I think, is should go next. Like, that's, you, that's where you, I'm you're, at. You are incorrect. So, here's the deal, Colin. At this point, your top three is going to be the top three. Like, that's where it's going, if we just keep going this direction. <laughs> well, and here's the thing, though. Colin, let me be honest with you. If you want American Psycho above Dark Knight, I'll cut Dark Knight here. I do not want that. I'm so sorry, but I think Because at the end of the day, I think Caleb is fighting for Spotless Mind, and I'm fighting for Revenge of the Sith, so I don't really want to cut Spotless Mind. Like, I'm fighting for There Will Be Blood. (laughs) Then we have to decide between Dark Knight and American Psycho. Yeah. All right, then put American Psycho here. (laughs) That's that's what it's got to be. You're, All right, gonna, if that's what you're okay... Like I said, I don't yeah. have a huge... We took out Mulholland Drive, Zodiac, and No Country for Old Men pretty much back-to-back, so I'm not picky. All right. Drop it in. It's official. Caleb, you go first on eulogies while I update the doc. Yeah, golly, American Psycho was a trip. <laughs> that was nuts. Christian Bale. It's kind of cool, too, that he's in so many movies that are in the top 10 even now top five <laughs> mm-hmm. golly that was a weird movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> jeez i'm just like thinking about oh, some of so that weird. Like, oh gosh it. like that was like jarring <laughs> i feel like we should do a total a full episode at some point on american psycho i'd be down for that because i, yeah. I, 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 I think we should do yeah. like straight up i think we should do well and revenge of the sith will get its own thing sometime i'm sure but like we could do a full episode on the three remaining. American Psycho, honestly, it made me think that Christian Bell could also do Joker <laughs> if he wanted to. <laughs> Which Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know if he could now, like with his age, but maybe he could. Kind of like with Dude, the Caleb, you're putting ideas in my mind. I'm digging this train of thought. <laughs> I'm digging it. Man, American Psycho. Uh, what do we think of it? the feminist perspective of this film do we do we find it to be particularly feminist Um, i I do i mean i get that not everyone's going to get that out of the film but just the fact that there's that bit where he has the two sex workers in his apartment and he's like you know paid them to be there and he's just talking about god knows what and he looks at them he goes don't you two want to know what i do and the first woman's like no, no, not really. And then looks at the second woman. The second woman's like, no, I don't. And then what does Christian Bale do? He starts talking about Phil Collins in Genesis. He's got to throw his stupid white male music take out there. It's so entitled and so funny and so dark. It's good. It's good. Have either of y'all read the book, American Psycho? Nope. I have not. I have not. I have read a couple of the hottest parts of the book because i've heard many 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 accounts that this book is a chore to read Mm. imagine how much of the the screen time is devoted to christian bale's routines like oh when i wake up i do i do this 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 and when uh when i go to work i do this 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 and this business card has this 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 on it so like that is over 60% of the book. Oh, gosh. <laughs> that OCD descri- describing, like, 
pages, like three, four, five, six pages, whenever he goes into a new place, are him looking around the room and being like, oh, that lady over there is wearing, and then he describes the exact outfit that she is wearing. And then he'll move on to the next person, like the the person sitting across from her, and be like, oh, this person is wearing Armano Giorgi, da 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 And it's like pages and pages of this OCD, like... So the way the reason and so the the what I'm saying is that the movie version veers off in a different direction and focuses on different things, different aspects of Patrick Bateman. Uh, in the in the movie version, we kind of get the more uh, kind of trippy. Did he do it? Did he not do it? Is he crazy? Vibe. Whereas in the book, it's very clear. Oh, this boy is nuts. Like this boy has mental illness. And, and like, that's what's causing him to be crazy. So it's like a psychotic study of the book, and then it evolves into something a little bit more accessible, I think, for the film. Yeah, I think Heron does a really good job of kind of presenting this descent that Bateman goes on to, not just from the perspective of kind of getting you outside of Patrick's mind, Bateman's mind, which I think is what's effective about those scenes with the sex workers, and where that feminist perspective comes in. But I do think Heron as a director, it's very clear that she's an underrated filmmaker, looking at how she handles the story and how she handles the darkness that goes on with this you know, crazy yuppie guy who's all big into upper-class 80s culture. It's, it's quite the movie. I'm not surprised at all it's up here in the top five. I think there's a lot of high-quality stuff going on here, both from an acting place, a place of how this book was adapted into a movie, and then, of course, so many of the formal qualities that Mary Heron and her team work with. Colin, uh, do you know if... Is Defoe's character is like a detective, right? Right, that's is right. He, right. How much is that character in the book? Not as much. So I guess it's appropriate that he really didn't have as much no. on screen. And, and, and you know the whole thing with... You know the whole thing with that, right? With Defoe's direction? Nope. Okay, so, well, well, then we got to talk about it really quick. So, um, there's actually different... Every time Defoe has an interaction with Patrick Bateman, the director told him, okay, in this scene, you don't think he did it at all. Just, you know... It's a casual, you're questioning him, and that's it. And then the next time, it's like, okay, in this scene, you have a suspect, you think they did it, and now you're talking to him to get more information on the suspect. And then the like the next time you see him, okay, now you think he did it. Interesting. You get, and, and if Willem Dafoe's acting seemed inconsistent, it was supposed to be inconsistent. Oh, oh I didn't because think that. Because or, or 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 his line of questioning was inconsistent okay. or you know whatever, because a lot of people that's like something they say it's like oh you know Defoe's an idiot blah 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 it's like no like that was that's the whole point of the movie is she is she's trying to f- trick you yeah I just thought it was thinking, it's a great into, touch in, yeah, into questioning really well yeah into questioning did he do it was it in his head what's going on yeah I guess I just wanted more Defoe that was my thing. <laughs> Yeah, fair no, enough. Yeah, like fair seeing enough. Bale and Defoe work together in this movie, oh, it's such a treat. Yeah. So good. 
So when I worked at my university library, we had this whole section of the library where students and faculty could check out DVDs and Blu-rays from the library. And there was this one older gentleman. He worked with my university's, I think they were like the construction project team. He was always going around, seeing what the workers were doing, making sure they were doing their job, seeing how they were and progressing and like changing and working on buildings and renovations. And he would always come to the library and he, he only did two things. He would either rent Bullet with Steve McQueen and talk about how it was the greatest movie ever, or he would go around trying to convince my young co-workers to watch Treasure of the Sierra Madre, the John Huston film with, uh, I want to say, Humphrey Bogart's in it. And he was so annoying because literally every time he was in the library, he was like, have you heard of the Treasure of Sierra Madre? And like he asked me like three times. And I was like, yeah, yeah, Sam Raimi likes that movie. He made Spider-Man, whatever, whatever. And one time, this guy, he's got to be in his 50s. He comes in and gives me a copy of American Psycho that he checked out. And he looks at me and he says, have you seen this film? And I said, yeah, yeah, a long time ago. And he goes, young man, do you like this movie? And I was like, you know, like, it's been four or five years, but I thought it was okay. <laughs> and he goes, some young man your age told me to watch it because it was the best film ever made. And I'm here to say it is the worst film I've ever seen. And they just stormed <laughs> off. And here's the thing. A film like that, it's that divisive, directed by a woman who doesn't really get a lot of work in Hollywood anymore. I cannot love that. Do I love American Psycho as much as a lot of movies on this list? Of course not. But I respect the hell out of it. And I'm happy it's in the top five. Good job, Colin. Thank you. <laughs> Caleb, you are up at number four. What are we cutting, my friend? I've been thinking about this because the question is, I guess for me and Colin, is do we want episode three in the top three? Or do we put it at three because it's episode three? <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Or do you want it at number one because maybe it's the best movie on this list? <laughs> uh, nope. <laughs> and if we're not doing The Revenge of the Sith... I really, man, I would have cut, truth, truthfully, I would have cut American Psycho and There Will Be Blood a while back. <laughs> so them being here now is like, those are my... So there's a few things we can do here. We can either have all our favorite movies in the top three and cut Dark Knight here. Or I can be the bigger man and concede to Revenge of the Sith so you guys can have Dark Knight in the top three. That's kind of where we're at. Am I right? Yep. Yeah. And I, I mean, is that what, like, is that really what you guys want me to do? Is that really what, like, I mean, Caleb, Caleb, are you going to make him do that? It's one I, of those things where I it's like, like I said to. earlier. I sure would like to. <laughs> I either wanted Revenge of the Sith or Mulholland Drive in the top three, and now we live in a world where that's not the case. Yeah. Um. Man, Colin, I'm very surprised by what you say is your number one. That's shocking. Why? I. Man, I don't know. Like, I just... I loved just, it. I mean, yeah, I, I guess you, you love Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah, that's true. Like, that's... He's great in it. Let's do this, Caleb. Let's just be honest with ourselves. Because here's the deal. We've talked about before how last time on this list, the 2010s list, I pushed Inception to beat Uncut Gems. And I think we all agree that Uncut Gems is better than Inception. So because of my mistake I made over a year ago... I want to ask you one question that determines what we cut here. Okay. Which one is better? Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith or The Dark Knight? The Dark Knight is better. 
The Dark Knight is better. Then we cut Revenge of the Sith. All right. Yeah. Now I kind of now I kind of want to put Revenge of the Sith in the top three for the memes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that is true. Like, along with Shrek, okay, this okay. is definitely the biggest. You know what? Okay, because you two are so variant, very, so very against it, <laughs> I will be the bigger man, and I will put There Will Be Blood here at four. So that Revenge of the Sith, Dark Knight can be in the top three. I'm doing it. That's my I'm, final offer. Yeah. But isn't that your favorite movie on this list? It is. But you two don't, don't like it. Why. I like it more than Dark Knight. You like... Maybe I'm having a change of heart. Maybe I'm realizing that... Wait, wait, wait. Jack, you like There Will Be Blood better than Dark Knight? You, yeah. Are you, are you being dead serious with me right now? I mean, it's not like by a high margin. Like, I gave them the same rating on Letterboxd, but like... Oh, Lord. Um, I want your favorite movie to go farther, Colin. That's what I'm saying. Uh, and I'm not convinced Dark Knight is better than There Will Be Blood, even though I think Caleb thinks that. Look, at this point, I have to use the I'm on a desert island, I only get one movie to take with me. Or, or actually, better. the better description is gun to my head, someone is holding me hostage and says, here are the two movies that you have to choose from, and we're going to watch one of them right now. Which one would you rather watch? Like, of course I'm going to pick Revenge of the Sith. Like, (laughs) of course I am. Now, same thing. There will be Blood Dark Knight. Gun to your head. Which one would you rather watch? Of course I'm going to pick Dark Knight. Like, obviously. I I won't even have to think about it. So that's why I want to put, if it's okay with everyone here, I will put There Will Be Blood here using the the gun to your head, pick a movie method. (laughs) I love that our logic has like devolved all the way to if someone puts a gun to your head, what are you gonna pick for this yeah. movie? We are basically on those boats at the end of Dark Knight right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. Dark Knight has to has to go ahead. It has to. So then at number four, we have there will be blood. I will eulogize first. So. I'm going to go out and say that this is probably a recency bias. I very recently have watched this movie, and I think because of that, I I pushed it further because I felt like I liked it more. But that said, I I love it. It's it's in my top ten of all time, hands down. Like, I'm not even going to deny it. Uh, I will 100% admit this is a dude movie. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. It is a movie for dudes, by dudes, to dude it up uh, big time. Daniel Day-Lewis, he does it again, folks. There there he goes. You know, If you have a milkshake and, and I have a milkshake and my straw reaches across the room and it starts to drink your milkshake, I drink your milkshake. <laughs> I, it's so amazing. Such a good impression. Wow. Like it's so amazing. Like that scene gives me chills. Or the scene where Paul Dano makes him confess in mm-hmm. the in the in the church and he's just like, "Well, that's a pipeline." <laughs> like <laughs> it's incredible. 
It's so it's so good. And this is the last thing I'll say. Because of There Will Be Blood, we got a glorious SNL skit <laughs> involving Adam Driver. <laughs> Have y'all seen this? Is that the Pokemon one? No, it's the <laughs> That's also a good one. But it's <laughs> It, that's that's smosh that's like og oh smosh. that's right no that's right. the snl adam driver skit i don't want to just like describe it but essentially adam driver plays an oil tycoon who gets invited by uh pete david uh the guy who was in long island yeah that's yeah. pete davidson pete yeah, davidson yeah. So Pete Davidson is his son, and it's bring like you know career day, bring your dad to work to school day. Look it up, <laughs> okay? Please, that sounds great. It is I love Adam Driver. So funny. Anyway, and it wouldn't have been possible without There Will Be Blood. <laughs> so yeah, I mean There Will Be Blood is definitely canonized as one of the all time great American movies, and there's not really much I can add to so much of the positive praise that's been thrown its way so all i want to say is that when colin and i in 2014 went to go see inherent vice in theaters i remember colin looked at me and he said jack you suck this movie was trash and i thought to myself colin will never be a paul thomas anderson guy then i saw there will be blood <laughs> and look where we are today boogie nights fans there's hope for you <laughs> Man, I, I, I don't get me wrong. I'm impressed by this movie. I think it's well executed. Daniel Day Lewis. I'm glad he's in our top. It's in our top five. Great actor. I man, there are things that I really love about this, like the scene where they're all kind of just whenever they're just covered in oil and they just look. Like how 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 it shines, like it seems very like they were actually just in oil. <laughs> that sequence where they, it's this before they get big, right? Before when they're just they got these small things that they're working on. Like I've I've always had a wonder about how they did this. Like I've I've read a little bit about it. I've seen documentaries, but I've never seen like a depiction of what it what it might have been like to get down and dirty doing this stuff. And I really like felt the grittiness of that watching this movie, which was really cool ab- about it. And for like for those kinds of reasons, like I'm glad we're talking about it in like a top five caliber discussion. It's not personally a top five caliber film for me, because I think the director has a has a better <laughs> movie. But it's not in the 2000s uh, era. It's from, it's from the two I think 2013. Yeah, um, Caleb and I are definitely yeah. tracking on that one, yeah. as, as we've said in the past. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where I'll leave it. Um, I think we could do a full-length discussion about it if we ever want to do that. All right, we are now officially at the top three. Colin, there was a second there. Colin's up to bat. He's about to pick a film, and I think I know he's going to pick. Here's the deal, Colin. Earlier, I was so worried that Revenge of the Sith would not make the top five. I genuinely thought you guys were going to cut it like number eight or seven. Well, and yet here I, I we tried are to, and three. you saved it. So, <laughs> man, like I was, because for me, Revenge of the Sith is either number one or two in my personal list. So I was scared there for a second, and it all worked out. I had faith, I had patience. We made it to the top three. So, Colin, 
if you're ready to cut Revenge of the Sith, I will not lose sleep over Look, it. Look, dude, I Maybe. really want to cut Eternal Sunshine. I really do. Do you? Okay, Caleb. What's going on? Gun to your head. Talk to me. <laughs> We're pulling them out again. Here we go. Get, let's get the gunman back. Uh, <laughs> this is America. Don't get you slipping up. Uh, <laughs> nice. Gunman's in your house. He's holding you hostage. He says, Caleb, we're going to watch a movie. And the two you get to pick from are Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and The Dark Knight. You have to pick five seconds. What do you say? Eternal Sunshine is what I would go for. I do want to add that Eternal Sunshine on my personal list that I made is not at number one. Caleb, the gunman would have gotten frustrated with you and shot you. You are now dead. Sweet. R.I.P. <laughs> the legend. Yeah. Wait, what is your number one, Caleb? I did put The Dark Knight higher than Eternal Sunshine on my list. God. All right, fine. We got to cut Revenge of this. Here's the deal, gentlemen. Here's the deal. Here's where we're at. Even though Revenge of the Sith is my favorite of the three, you guys both like Dark Knight more than Yes, that that is that's what I'm getting at here. And even though I think that is incorrect and I disapprove, we might need to have the Eternal Sunshine Dark Knight debate after we give our eulogies for Revenge of the Sith. All right, fine. I'm going to cut Re- then we'll cut Revenge of the Sith here. We've talked on this podcast before how much we love the prequels. And the prequels, I think have only gotten better and better the older I get. You know, love or hate the prequels, Revenge of the Sith is kind of the one that everyone agrees is the best one. In fact, a lot of people argue it's the best Star Wars film, which I'm kind of okay with. I don't think it's my personal favorite, but I think it might be my second favorite Star Wars movie. This is the film where Lucas kinds to gets to put everything together. He gets to pull back the curtain and reveal the galactic corruption that he's been working with in the science fiction world he's created on an epic scale that few movies have ever really hit. It works so well, because his original trilogy was about the good guys, the underdogs, coming up and beating the Empire, destroying the Death Star, taking on Darth Vader and the Emperor, and saving the galaxy and fighting evil. The prequels, we know where they're going to lead to. We know about the rise of Darth Vader. We know Anakin will fall and become Darth Vader. But with the prequels, we need to analyze the mechanics and how that happened, What makes Revenge of the Sith so wonderful is how it does kind of pose that, you know, Palpatine's control over the Senate and the government is definitely a flawed system that is going to fall for corruption. But are the Jedi much better? They were doubting Anakin at every turn ever since Qui-Gon brought him to them in Phantom Minute. Lucas does a good job of saying it's not always Jedi versus Sith. I mean, look at the scene where Anakin has to kill Dooku. His best friend and master is knocked out, Obi-Wan's knocked out, and he's there with not just the good guy lightsaber, but Dooku's red lightsaber, good and evil. And in that moment where he knows he's not supposed to execute Dooku, he takes both the good guy lightsaber and the bad guy lightsaber and kills him, while Palpatine eggs him on. And you know what? What does he say, Jack? What, what does Palpatine say? Oh, to... do it. Do it. <laughs> Shout out to Ian McDermott, just such an underrated actor. He's so good in those movies. But but what I wanted to say was, 
We see this happen again with Mace Windu as he takes out Sidious and he has him there on the ledge. And of course, Windu has the purple lightsaber. Red and blue combined is purple. It's just, it's so stupid to talk about the colors, but it's so brilliant. Because really, what makes the prequel so wonderful? These are the films, well, for one, it's the epic scope, sure, and the beautiful cross-cutting, the editing is so good. But really, what makes these prequel movies so wonderful is they are a way to teach geeky kids who like sci-fi about politics. And I just think both that bit where Anakin kills Dooku and that bit where, you know, Anakin prevents Mace Windu from killing Sidious, oh, it's just so... So brilliant. There are so many things about this movie that rock. General Grievous, what a cool design. What a cool villain who's just didn't even really need to be there for the theme's core plot. He's just kind of there for the B-plot for Obi-Wan to go do his thing. Uh, it's the, the Order 66 montage, it's so tragic and beautiful, and John Williams' score is so good. I mean, I've, I've harped on, like, I've talked a lot about how much I love the scope of these movies, but look how Lucas cuts from Jedi to Jedi as they're getting gunned down during Order 66. It's on different planets with different locations and different environments. There's a snow planet, a jungle planet. It's just so... It really makes you feel like you're in this amazing, grand galaxy. And it's beautiful because, you know, as war rages on, it's like the opening crawl says, there's heroes on both sides, and we really do get to see the full scale of an epic galactic war. There's so much I could say about this movie and how much I love it. Like, this is easily my favorite movie on this list. Mulholland Drive, I think, on a rewatch could top it, but man, I love Revenge of the Sith. And just, I I could probably say more about it, but I'll let Caleb and Colin go. Man, I I don't have much to say. I honestly kind of purposefully let this one go because I knew one, if not both of y'all, really going to push for it. And I really wanted to see how far it could be taken Um, because the sequel or the, I mean, the prequel trilogy, from what I've read, it has a lot of divisive opinions on like that's, you know, greatness versus, you know, how maybe how terrible it is. I don't know that I'm convinced that it is better than a lot of the movies on this list, but I don't think I've applied your reading to it, Jack. And I think you have presented something like a nuance to it that on a rewatch, I might consider differently and see how it fares. Well, it's kind of like with something like Zodiac, no matter how eloquently or well put, I made my arguments. You two have seen the film within the past year and you guys know how you feel about it. Mm-hmm. With Revenge of the Sith, and honestly, all of Lucas's Star Wars films, I think there's just so many layers and so much to the text that is worth not just analyzing as a film critic, but enjoying as a simple, pleasurable audience member watching this wonderful sci-fi world. Here's the reason I let it go this far, because I was afraid to cut it. I was afraid of what the nerds would do. But you know what else? Another reason I cut it? Jack, you've given so many good reasons why this is an enjoyable movie. You know, it's got great action. It's got the, the I think we can all agree, it's got hands down the best lightsaber duel in the franchise, right? Oh, yeah, the Mustafar fight, my 100%, goodness. And then, of 100%. course, Duel Fates comes in. Oh, Beautiful, so good. beautiful. 
Just the best. But you want to know why it deserves to be where it is? All the memes. This is the most <laughs> memed movie yes. in this list by a wide, vast margin. Sorry, Shred. I can't agree with that. That is very true. I'm just saying. Do it for the memes. <laughs> Shrek may have sculpted our sexual preferences, but... <laughs> <laughs> but Revenge of the Sith gave us the memes. I don't know about that sex stuff, Colin. Ian McGregor is in this movie, after all. Ooh, good point, good point, good point. Oh. God, just seeing Yoda and Palpatine take, like, the literal Senate things and throw them... Oh, it's just as a... It's so good. I'm going to shut up now because we've talked about my favorite movies. And I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm happy with this list. So it's time for us as a collective to decide on the silver medal and what film wins. Comes out in the end. And once again, we've come down to the two films that one is directed by Nolan, the other one Colin hasn't seen. <laughs> oh, how history fucking repeats itself. Yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> Well, I guess since we did it one way last time, we have to reverse it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just, I don't no, know. you know, I, hey, I've already told you that that's not what I want to do. <laughs> yeah, we already he, we, Caleb's Caleb's been shot. So Jack, I mean, it's yeah. My I'm, my vote for number one is Dark Knight. His vote for number one is Eternal Sunshine. No, that's not what I said earlier before we got to. The, when we were talking about number three, I literally put my cards on the table and I said Eternal Sunshine is not my number one pick. Not as good as Dark Knight? Yeah, I have the Dark Knight at number one. All right. Well, Jack, then it's up to you. Well, here's the thing. I have seen Dark Knight at least a dozen times. Oh, I've seen it. I was, when Dark Knight came out, it was that summer between being a middle schooler and transitioning to a high schooler. I cannot really talk about talk about Dark Knight without any form of bias. Like, it's just, to a certain generation that Colin and I are a part of, and I think Caleb arguably too, in some ways Dark Knight is almost critic-proof. That being said, I did re-watch Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind for the first time since high school a few weeks ago. I think I don't like Eternal Sunshine as much as the general consensus is. I'm not saying it's an issue that it's this high, because I know Caleb loves this movie, and I just figured it would be in our top ten, if not our top five, but I do have to admit that, even though it's hard to let go of my bias, I think Eternal Sunshine isn't as good as The Dark Knight. Yeah, see, I didn't get on The Dark Knight train with the like with the hype. Like When it came out, I didn't go see it in theaters. I don't think I like saw it on disc. I think maybe sometime when I was in high school, if not like late high school and I fell in love with it and I've rewatched it probably half a dozen times by now. And I'm just, you know, thoroughly amazed by it. It's a, I mean, it's much better than inception. <laughs> uh. Agreed. Big time. Yeah. Disagree. Big time. <laughs> uh, but that's for another day. Yeah, the Nolan conversation is a perpetual one for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think season two we might have to dedicate a full yeah. episode to the boy, his, his WB controversy. Right. <laughs> so there we have it. At number two, we are going with Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. 2004, directed by, I think it's Michelle Gondry is how you say his name, Caleb? Mm-hmm. 
and written by our boy Charlie Kaufman. I'll go first on the eulogy because I think, Caleb, you're going to give the stronger one. Maybe. <laughs> I'm going to give a shout-out to cinematographer Ellen Karras, who worked with Gondry and Kaufman on this film. She and her team do a wonderful job of playing around with the handheld cinematography and the lighting because they give this film this whole vibe of being in this somewhat realistic but also kind of slightly off dreamscape. And if you've seen the film, you know what I'm talking about with how they play with the sets and how they do the different things to represent Carrie's memories as he's going through them and losing his memories of Kate Winslet's character. And I think the way the film is constructed, both in regards to its narrative and its visuals, there's a lot to admire, especially in the sense that you can tell the filmmakers had fun playing around with these sets and with these designs. The one kind of negative I'll say about this movie is that I think the subplot with Kristen Dunst, Mark Ruffalo, and uh, what's the doctor's name? The older guy, Caleb, you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, I don't remember his name. I'd have to pull it up. Uh, Tom Wilkinson's okay, character. Yeah. <laughs> I personally think that whole plot line with Kristen Dunst, Mark Ruffalo, and Tom Wilkinson could have been the core of the movie. And I'm not saying... I disliked what's going on with Carrie and Winslet because I think they're both great actors and their performances here are really, really strong. I just don't think I really dug into their romance and chemistry as much as some of the sci-fi concepts at play here. I think this is a really strong science fiction film that's kind of more based in like the characters and the drama than it is in like a dystopian future or action-packed scenes like a Star Wars. Sure. I think those elements really work, and I just don't think the romance elements about this relationship really work for me. And I think that's why I don't like it as much as a significant New York or a lot of the other films. That's probably a big reason why I connect with it more, because I do latch on to that main plot line with, with uh, Jim Carrey. And so I'll keep my eulogy short, but so, so I'll give it two points. One, I appreciate the depth that a comedic a mainly comedic actor with a huge history and some of the most comedic roles like he can do drama in a way that like a sometimes a drama actor can't <laughs> when i saw this i was like jim carrey one of the best dramatic performances i've seen from a comedian like this is this is so good and then my second point is this is the movie that really got me interested in studying and learning more about color theory and, and, and its use on screen. That was a fun journey to go on after watching it and learning more about what the colors mean on like in these scenes and how they're portrayed. Well said, Caleb. Well said. Yeah, this is one of those films, Caleb, where you and I first started hanging out a lot. I knew you were very adamant about, oh, this is one of my all-time favorite films. So it's nice that here we are on our podcast game to talk about it. That's quite fun. Yep. And ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, the moment you've all been waiting for, Christopher Nolan once again taking the number one spot with his 2008 film, The Dark Knight. Duh. I'm just kidding. I feel like this was an obvious choice, gentlemen. I'm glad we arrived to it together. <laughs> I don't know that Jack agrees. <laughs> yeah, Jack doesn't agree, but Jack never agrees. <laughs> I definitely like Dark Knight more than Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, 
part of me kind of likes it a little bit more than There Will Be Blood. Just, just a little bit. But like Kill Bill, I think Dark Knight is one of those movies that it's hard for me to remove myself from the nostalgia I have sure. associated with it. One of those movies that even though the more I read about Dark Knight and some of the criticisms and flaws people see in it, the more I'm kind of like, oh, like, is this movie really as good as I remember? The more I think back to just being a kid and being a young teenager and just being so engulfed in the world of Gotham. So it's weird. I feel weirder about having us give the prize to two Nolan films back to back on these lists than I do about Dark Knight actually being number one. But no, I like I like Inception better if I'm being serious. But Tenet, I'm sorry, Tenet, you tried real hard. Dark Knight is the better film. <laughs> <laughs> Dark Knight. Yeah. It's so amazing. Yep. I could talk for, for quite a while about all the reasons why it's amazing, but let's be honest with ourselves. Heath Ledger gave the performance of a lifetime. It was incredible. There's no one will ever be able to top that, match that. Right. We will be comparing, and Batman is not going anywhere. I, I, I dare say that when we're in our 90s, <laughs> there will be Batman movies gl- being made galore. So, if not three or four more new Jokers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like every one of them, I truly think, will pale in comparison to Heath Ledger. Yep. The, on- the only one that... It- I don't know. The only other Joker that comes close to it in my mind is like Mark Hamill, which borderline doesn't count. <laughs> Because it's animated, right? <laughs> so and it also goes into that nostalgia factor. Of yeah, exactly. Of kids and yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I get what you're saying. <laughs> crazy? I'm not crazy. You're crazy. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I think if anything, this number one spot belongs to Heath. Like, just really, you know, it's sad that he passed and it sucks that he died. But people who hate this movie still look at this movie and go, oh, Heath Ledger rules. Right. Like, he's one of the all-time greats. Oh, yeah. Like, he's a big reason why I wanted to push this one to number one because, like, I was looking at this list and I'm like, that's the best performance. Like, that's it. Easy. This isn't even, a like, a conversation for me. <laughs> no, as the member of this podcast who doesn't think Dark Knight is quite as good as my co-host, I kind of agree with that statement. Yeah. Like, I can't think of a performance on this list. Maybe Daniel Day-Lewis and There Will Be Blood, but even then, I think Heath wins out. I think he really does bring the just legendary acting piece to this character and to this villainous role that cannot be... It's just so good, so, so strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's two signs to this movie. On one hand... The haters who don't like this film, they argue that, you know, it's very ham-fisted with its themes. It's a little bit too much. There's so much going on. That third act of Two-Face, like, it's just a long movie, and they're trying to cram as much material in there in this post-war on Terra age of Batman and Gotham, and they complicate the Joker fight between Batman too much by adding so much material to its script, which I, I kind of get, like... I don't think people buy as much into the Harvey Dent stuff as they do with, like, Joker. But I also think Aaron Eckhart does a good job with his performance, and I think there are a lot of nuggets of gold there in that character arc. But the second part of this movie that I think is where I fall into and why people love this film is this is just an incredibly ambitious and overzealous script as far as how many ideas it wants to fit into 
one of the most famous comic book rivalries between Batman and the Joker. And it's like, Christopher and Jonathan Nolan basically made a script that was like, okay, we're going to turn the vigilante experience into this monolithic milestone of true noir intensity. And we're also going to make it a PG-13 superhero movie. It's very, very intricate and interesting. And I think it's worth studying and worth analyzing. And yeah, there's a reason this movie is hyped up so much. Yeah, true. That's kind of my piece on the movie. Do do you two want to go... I know you two are the ones who are really championing this film. Do you two want to kind of close, conclude the Dark Knight talk? I kind of said all I needed to say. I think we've all... We've said it all. And also, this is another one of those movies that I don't think needs our... Right. ...defense. Dark Knight has clout. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's it's got staying power. And regardless of what we say... It's undeniably a, a rock solid film. So nice, nice. Well, that's it. We have it. We have our list. Do we want to <laughs> read through it, <laughs> everything we've done, or God, do we just want to? I guess. I guess we have to, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> Are we gonna? Uh, how we want to do it? Do we go do in we the do... order that we picked? <laughs> let's do it. So Caleb starts. Yeah, let's off. start with yeah. forty. All right. <laughs> the top 40 from the 2000s ranked. The number 40, Iron Man. Number 39, Avatar. Number 38, Shaun of the Dead. Number 37, Finding Nemo. Number 36, Wally. Number 35, Batman Begins. Number 34, Up. Number 33, Kill Bill, Volume 1 and 2, The Whole Bloody Affair. Number 32, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Number 31, Hot Fuzz. Number 30, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Philosopher's Stone. (laughs) (laughs) At number 29, we have Amelie. Number 28, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Number 27, more Mentos. I mean, more. Memento. <laughs> 26, Shrek. 25, Ratatouille. 24, Pan's Labyrinth. Not enough David Bowie. <laughs> I, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. 23, Requiem for a Dream. 22, Spirited Away. 21, Lost in Translation. Halfway through, we are at 20, Inglorious Bastards. 19, Catch Me If You Can. Number 18, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Making Me Pick This Movie Much Higher Than I Wanted To. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry, I misread Azkaban. (laughs) It's 17, The Departed. 16, Monsters, Inc. At 15, our biggest regret, The Prestige. (laughs) Glad to hear it. 14, Fantastic Mr. Fox. 13, Donnie Darko. Number 12, uh, The Incredibles. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Number 11, The Lord of the Rings Trilogy. Number 10, (laughs) Mulholland Drive. 
Number nine, Zodiac. Number eight, Children of Men. Number seven, No Country for Old Men. Number six, No Country for, I mean, <laughs> uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Dang it, I was going to try to. Little Miss Sunshine. <laughs> hey. Number five, American Psycho. Number four, There Will Be Blood. Number three, Star Wars, <laughs> Revenge of the Sith. Number two, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And altogether, gentlemen, we have it number one, Zed the Dark, Dark Knight. <laughs> <laughs> you want to know how I got to this spot on the yelling at the screen list? Yeah. <laughs> you want to know how I... <laughs> You want to know how I got this spot? <laughs> That's Colin saw the movie five times in theater. <laughs> that's he when it all started. Number one. <laughs> and after seven the... plus hours, we have finally gone ever. Actually, it's probably been longer. <laughs> so the Skype yeah. call has been going for eight hours and 50 minutes. Oh, my gosh. So. We do it for you, the fans at home. Yeah. We started at 7 a.m. It is now 4 p.m. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is the end for season one at Yelling at the Screen, but we have big things planned for you for season two, so stay tuned. Stay tuned. There's going to be carnage. <laughs> There's nice. gonna, there will be carnage. <laughs> oh, boy. Also, I'm going to start looking at the 90s list. Bye. Oh, bye. <laughs> I'm Jack. I'm Colin. And I'm Caleb. We are yelling at the screen. We Bye-bye. are. Bye. Bye. Breaking your crown